Welcome to the Bring Your Lunch Pail Sports Podcast. Presented by Luke's Pizzas. So don't do that for A. Thank you for the advice. Featuring Lucas Clark and Nigel Romaine. Tell me more about these lizard overlords. Now introducing your host, Tanner Retz. Alright, episode 20 of the podcast. They said, like, we, they said we'd never get here. Yeah, what a milestone. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we should have had like a giveaway or something exciting. That's a big that's a big moment. Well, the last giveaway we did, they still haven't received their gift. It's sitting upstairs <laughs> on the coffee table. Yeah, Chris, we uh, we owe you that still, I think. You still want it? You're going to love it when you <laughs> yeah. get it, though. Yeah, <laughs> it's absolute fire, that's for sure. So I think a hot topic in the house that we need to hit on. I want to quote something real quick. A house divided against itself cannot stand. And right now, this house has hit a breaking point on a very <laughs> controversial topic. And that's Christmas. And what Luke and I have discovered is that Nigel actually hates Christmas and everything about it. We're trying to bring joy and cheer into our lives, into our household, by bringing in a nice Christmas tree, maybe putting up the lights. I mean, I feel like we're already behind the game. Like, we should have done this two weeks ago. And Nigel's blockading it. So, Nigel, would you like to tell us why you hate the happiest time of the year? Um, because I am a gatekeeper of happiness, obviously. No, I do not hate Christmas, first off. This is a bold-faced mm, lie. It's exactly <laughs> what somebody who hates Christmas would say. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this has been fabricated against me to... Uh, to make me look bad. I just think that uh, putting up Christmas decorations in, uh, you know, November 1st, let's say, the day after day after Halloween, like some people I, I know have done, is a little extra, a little much. And I love Christmas, and, but I also love Thanksgiving. And so I want to give each, you know, give each holiday its due... You know, it's due diligence, it's due process, like, let's see it through. It makes Christmas all the more special if it's all celebrated within, you know, a 30-day period versus spreading it out over two and a half months, and then it's just not really that special to me anymore. I, if I if I was putting up, if I was putting up Christmas lights on November 1st, by the time I get to December 15th, that's not really going to feel, feel that special to me. He's, he's like the Grinch. His heart is three times too small. So if there was all that joy that started getting pumped into it by the second week of November, he would just be out of juice by the time we got to Christmas. So I get it from that from that uh, point of view. If anything, my heart is enlarged for multiple reasons, medical, <laughs> medical related. Okay. But it's not enlarged it's due to not, joy. Yeah, it's not enlarged due to joy, but it's, it's enlarged due to excessive amounts of alcohol and other things I'm sure that are uh, causing my heart to have to work in overdrive. <laughs> but Well, you, uh, you have started the hobby of, of rogies or zinners. So yeah, that probably has helped the yeah, that's, heart go down just a little bit. Yeah. That, that helps the heart rate uh, it slow down it out yeah this you know you take what you pop a you pop a rogue year is in in and then you can uh, you can sit underwater for about 35 minutes is what i heard because it slows your heart down so did tucker carlson say that uh yeah that's a quote from tucker carlson for sure oh, okay. um yeah so anyway i'm i'm just uh you know i'm i'm open to the idea of getting christmas in early 
you know i how I know, early how I know, early is the right amount of early i think like you know right around thanksgiving like i'll give it like a plus or minus three days somewhere in there four days around thanksgiving like i think that's maybe the sunday before thanksgiving that'd be i think that's uh get that's on the fringe of of being a little excessive but i think that that's i think that that's fine so uh, i'm i'm coming more and more open more and more open to this idea but i think i I don't need the uh the hard line that maddie has of the uh after the turkey's carved then it's then it's okay but november 1st is too early for me so there here's here's my take is that i used to be a little bit more hard line but growing up, we always put the Christmas lights up on Thanksgiving Day. Usually get up early on Thanksgiving, start putting the Christmas lights up. They're up and on by dinner time, and then you're full go on Christmas. the rest of the Christmas decorations. Which I think is a completely appropriate time to start beginning celebrating Christmas is Thanksgiving Day. What I'll say has changed for me mostly over the last couple of years is that like last year we didn't... Is that you're soft. I'm soft, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said it before on the podcast. I'm not trying to be a gatekeeper of happiness. And so, you know, in uh, past years, I've realized that it's like, because I don't really care about Christmas. Like, I'm not a religious person. I don't, you know, baby Jesus wasn't even born on December 25th. Baby Clayton was. Okay. <laughs> don't freak. Don't freak. So, you know. So, like, that part doesn't really resonate with me, but it's like, I like the lights up, I like the tree, like, you know, everyone's joyous and stuff, and so I like having that in the house. Last year, we didn't even put up a Christmas tree, just, and part of that adds adds on to the fact that it's like we were busy planning on going to the Alamo Bowl, and we were supposed to fly out the day after Christmas, which obviously you should have your Christmas tree up before christmas anyways but it's just like that's when the sales are best though yeah you get the better deal (laughs) yeah that's true but we even tried to go look for a christmas tree i think like the saturday or sunday before christmas and they were all gone at least in our area because nigel and i went driving about looking for something and we couldn't find anything so all this to say is that i'm turning a corner a little bit that it's like i'm not saying that like Put up your tree November 1st, especially if you have a fake tree, obviously it's easier to get that done. But I'm more saying that it's like as a as number one procrastinator, that if it's like, oh, it's November 13th today when we're recording, it's like, oh, I got time to go do this. Or if it was this past weekend or the weekend after, it's like, oh, I got time. I might as well do it now because otherwise I might get, we got Friendsgiving coming up and then you have Thanksgiving and then you got other things that start coming up in December and it's like, Oh great. Now it's December 19th and I don't have a Christmas tree and I don't have my lights up. So am I going to put them up? So they're up for five days. Like, no, that's kind of silly. So that's where I've become a little bit less hard line that I used to be very much like, no, you can wait till Thanksgiving, put your lights up that whole, you know, you got Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, now, Where does the madness end? That's all I want to know. First you're first you're accommodating Thanksgiving. Next thing you're accommodating November first. Pretty soon it's gonna be like, oh, it's summer solstice. Let's put up the th- the Christmas. Well, uh, that's where lights. I'd be more so, hardline. Is that see, I just don't really care about Thanksgiving very much as a holiday. Like I love eating food and eating turkey and stuff like that. But 
Halloween I do care about as a holiday, so you can't move anything past Halloween. That's its October is its own month, and then it ends on the 31st with the best holiday of the year, which is Halloween. After that, I don't care about Thanksgiving. You just want to blitz right to Christmas. Hell, you could put up New Year's Eve stuff. I don't care. Yeah. If you don't care about Christmas or Thanksgiving or any of the holidays, you're like, I'm just ready for the new year. I'm going to put up some New Year's Eve 2024 stuff. Like, fuck it. I don't care. Go for it. Yeah. I, Who am I to stop you from being happy? Right? I'm, I'm Nigel. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm uh, just in my mind, like Thanksgiving is like the kickoff of the holiday season and Christmas is kind of the the end of the holiday season. And the New Year's is obviously like. You know, wash away all of your sins for the year. So, <laughs> new year, new year. Yeah, new new year, new me. Um, but so in my mind, it's like that's that's when it starts. Like the holiday season starts on or like I'll give or take a couple days. Like like you said, if you have time before that, like that's fine. I'm not I'm not actually as hardline on the uh, bird needs to be carved dinner's over now it's now it's christmas like not actually that hard line now maybe listening to christmas music i might See, be, i'm on your i'm on your camp i might be a little bit hard, more hardline on on that like i'm not listening to any christmas music pre-thanksgiving that i just can't i i don't think All I right, let me ask that. you this one to go along with that if you're just sitting downstairs by yourself and your favorite christmas movie comes on november 11th do you watch it Probably not. You no. have nothing else going on. Probably not. No, I. Uh, Your feet are that dug in the sand, huh? Yeah, I mean, if I. If I mean, I, to be uh, fair, I, I kind of agree with that too. Like, because yeah. to me, in elf my is mind, different. It's like the start of the holiday season is Thanksgiving. But again, you're just taking away joy and happiness by oh, I can't, I can't watch my favorite movie right now because I have to wait for seven days later to happen in order to make this legal in the household. <laughs> Exactly. See, I'm still, I I just, I just, it doesn't, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel the same to me for some reason. I don't, I don't know what it is. It's, it's because I'm not, I'm not, I just open your heart. I'm not not trying to, uh, gatekeep other people's, uh, love, even the love and, uh, love of Christmas, even though I kind of am, but you're, Uh, hello. You are all, (laughs) you are all free to watch whatever, uh, holiday movies you want prior to Thanksgiving. And I may, I may even join you on that journey, but it's just not going to feel like it's just not going to feel like the holiday season to me quite yet. Like there's something about it would, if you allowed us to put a Christmas tree here in the living room, we get some hot cocoa. Going. That's you that's would, you would forget what day it is. You just know that you're cozy and happy. That's what I was going to say. Is that like, if a Christmas movie came on right now, like, I'm not going to watch that. I don't have any lights up. I don't have the Christmas tree. I will save it to watch that movie I'm more when in, I'm more I'm in more the in spirit. I'm more in horror movie mode still. Like, and that's what I was going to say. It, is like, that, this is, like, we just watched a horror movie last night again. Misery. Like, misery. And, like, I've, and we watched um, um, Barbarian the, a couple days before that. It's like, I'm still in, like horror movie October spooky season mode right now and not in like holiday mindset yet. So I don't see that's why we get the Christmas tree up and then we can watch black Christmas, which is a Christmas horror movie. There you go. (laughs) Whoa. Inception. My mind has changed forever. (laughs) (laughs) 
And that's the end of the show. We're going to be picking up a Christmas tree or stealing one. And uh, we'll talk yeah, to you Watch out, Dwayne's Garden Patch. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Nigel, I, I think that you're you're wrong, and I think that... <laughs> I know that you do. You're the you're the most psycho person of the group here. Because my Christmas. thing is, is, like, why wait? It's the happiest time of the year. Everyone's joyful. You're cozy. You're excited for the Christmas season. The most depressing day is December 25th, because that means it's all over, and you have to wait another year for it. So why, why not... Just go right into it right now so you can get as much Christmas as you can before that day comes and then you have to wait a whole other year. Uh, yeah. I mean, tell the truth. Yeah, tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know. It's Sweet. Just, uh, Moving on to yeah, national headlines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nigel hates Christmas. It's settled. Yeah, I just hate Christmas. That's all. Hates happiness. <laughs> Everyone's known this. Yeah. Okay, national headlines, Jimbo Fisher uh, getting the boot, uh, still getting $76 million guaranteed into his bank account. Did you guys foresee this happening? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, not that not that shocking. I mean, he basically did the exact same thing at Florida State, too. The guy's, the guy's probably cashed in $150 million but in, did he have a, in, in not coaching money. But did he have a blank plaque ready for him at Florida State? <laughs> yeah, no. They, I don't think they were that absurd with uh, – um, which I hadn't heard the story. Luke was the one that told told me this that he had a a blank plaque with that they were claiming they were going to fill in the national championships on the plaque for him at, when he was hired at Texas A and M. I mean that seems that seems cute and all. That's a nice little uh, welcome gift for uh, your new job for your hundred million dollar coach. But uh, the reality is, I think I mean. It, it kind of goes back to when we were talking. I think we talked about this on the pod, watching the the Johnny Football documentary a couple months ago, and I just feel like A and M was kind of like looking for the next like high to ride in the in their like their tidal wave that they kind of had, where it's like you you came from nothing. It, it was announced you're going to the SEC. You have Johnny Football. Um, you know, and so, and then you go to the SEC, you have a couple good games, like, and so they're kind of riding this tidal wave and then Kevin Sumlin ends up being a terrible coach. And then you had to find that like next thing to try to keep the, you know, keep the good times rolling. And Jimbo was that thing. And all he's done is go and be mediocre. They still have good classes every year. Like he, he, recruits well he has a top five recruiting class every single year i just don't think he's a good coach yeah so honestly that is asking whether or not he's a good coach is it like i think that is the real question because i don't think we talked about this on the podcast before but for those who don't really know jimbo's kind of history as a head coach is that he was under bobby bowden at florida state for a long time and it's basically pretty well known across college football Bobby Bowden one of the best coaches ever in college football but Florida State was always one of those programs that it's like like a lot of these places pre-NIL they just don't really run a clean program and there's guys doing dirty deeds behind the scenes to make sure that the best players are coming to their program and Jimbo was always that guy Jimbo was the dirty coach on the on the program 
that got all of the best players to come to Florida State. And they were good because they had the best players in the country. And then they had some good coaching, good coaches as well. Bobby Bowden obviously being a Hall of Famer. And then eventually Bobby Bowden retires and he walks right into that job and mostly gets Jameis Winston out of Alabama. Yeah. Right? He was on the back back porch of Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Like, he should have been going to Alabama and been the starting quarterback. But somehow he gets him out of there, brings him to Florida State. They win the national championship. That's basically the only time he was ever a good – or, like, that's his real claim to fame is getting that national championship. Which is something for sure. Which is something, obviously. It's not easy to win a national championship. But uh, it's also, as we're seeing now, really easy for Florida State to uh, get into the national championship uh, uh, picture. Well, they're still just writing that image that they've had from going back to the 90s with Bobby Bowden, that 90s through the 2000s. Like, they've rode that high forever. And Jimbo rode that into getting that job at Texas A&M. And you're right that he still has top recruiting classes and they spend tons of money on NIL deals. But probably some of it, too, is it still, even with that, like, other programs still get really good players. They still buy their players now with NIL deals. And you can have all this talent, but you actually have to be a good coach in order to win. And they have proven that every – I mean, I think I saw it the other day. It's like he has the same record that Kevin Sumlin had there as their head coach. Yeah. And they basically fired him around the same time. So you get to about 20-20 and 20 in your career as the head coach, and that's not really good enough for a program that gets $600 million in donations every year. Uh, one thing that he is good at, though, um, as a coach, is bitching about how uh, he has it tougher than all these other people, and that uh, even though he has such a large endowment and NIL money coming in, he's really good about like complaining about how uh, it's not because of that, and he didn't pay any of these players, and they they aren't doing any of that. It's just his program, not the like fifteen million dollars that he's offering them, and or not offering them because I think that was part of the scandal going on recently there too, wasn't it? That someone was offered or claimed that they were offered like fifteen million dollars to play there, and then he and then they only ever saw like a million or two, something like that. I feel like I, that was, did, I didn't hear that I one. Feel like but that was at the beginning of the season. I I won't go. There's been there. a few stories like that. Florida had that same yeah, thing Florida had with one uh, like that. Too. that Jaden Rashada, who's now playing quarterback, I think at Arizona State. That's right. But they, he had a NIL deal locked up that was for like five million, and then he showed up, and they're like, oh, "Yeah, you don't have that deal." And then he's like, "Okay, well, fuck that. I'm backing out on my letter of intent." Yeah. But mostly, I'm point. just talking about his. He's been really good about bitching about how Nick Saban has it so good, and he doesn't. And that's that's <laughs> the real curious thing I'm. Uh, I want to see from this is that if you remember at the beginning of last year, uh, Nick Saban and Jimbo were kind of throwing, throwing arrows at each other. And Saban was just kind of commenting on how they bought their team, which is also like pot calling the kettle black, like Bama, like Bama doesn't have all the money in the world and they haven't been paying their players. So it seemed like a little odd that he would call out Jimbo for the, you know, it's just like you're looking in the mirror yelling at the bad guy, but he called him out on that and Jimbo like fired back and got all heated and included some, some version of saying like, I like, I know Alabama's secrets. I know where the dead bodies are buried at Alabama. 
now you're fired. And he got $77 million or whatever coming to your way in dead money. Is it like, I think the first person who gets a chance to ask Jimbo is like, all right, you're not a coach anymore. You said you know where the dead bodies are at Alabama. Let's spill the tea. I want to hear about it. Like, you talked a big game and got all fiery about it. Like, I want to know about it now. Yeah. Um, have we reached out to Jimbo to come onto the show yet? Yeah, uh, we hit him up, and he said maybe next week. Okay, we'll yeah. see. Uh, we'll see if we can get. He said him he's busy. Yeah. <laughs> so, what's next for him then? I mean, you you brought up that last point. What do you think is next for him if he's not spilling the tea and just riding off in the sunset? Do you think he has another coaching job? Well, I thought I heard today is that he looks a lot older, but isn't Jimbo only like fifty nine? I have no. idea. I don't think he's that old. Like he looks a lot older, but I thought I heard that he's only fifty nine. So. That's plenty young enough to continue to be a head coach 58. for 58. So you could easily be a coach. Not that everybody's Pete Carroll, but it's like across the board is it like as long as you're healthy enough, you can easily be a head coach at least to 70. So you got another 12 good years of coaching if you want. Maybe he goes the route of coordinator for a second at a big program just to kind of rebrand his image a little bit. Because, again, per everything we just said, I don't know that the, I, the embarrassment alone from being an, a 500 football coach at Texas A&M is it like slinging mud at Nick Saban and then just like falling on your face, getting all the best players. Like I don't know if you want to jump right into another head coaching job. I mean, he might take a he might take a year off, but I would guess that someone's going to offer him a job within within a year from now. <laughs> like. Or I guess we'll say a head coaching job, a head coaching job before I'll say before bowl season of next year, uh, this upcoming season, like during that time, he's going to be offered a a position somewhere because something's going to come up. He's too big of a name. He gets the players in. Exactly. And he'll get the, he'll get the players in. He's a great, he's a great recruiter, whether that's by paying players or by truly being engaging and, yeah, you someone, know, doing what it takes to get him to sign. Someone's gonna, some team, like even if it's a low level SEC team, like tell me in a year when Arkansas fires their coach, whoever that, whoever that may be, like they're not gonna knock the doors on on Jimbo Fisher. Like one of those, one of those programs is gonna do it. I don't, you know, I have no idea who at this point, but I, I would just imagine that that's gonna happen. Which I assume then he'd have to pay that money back when he gets hired. Or is it completely? Is that nope? I think what I saw is that it's it's completely that contract is like completely fully guaranteed. I I thought I heard them say on the radios that he you know he gets like twenty million or something like that, like right drop in the bucket right now, and it's like it's like a very long like annuity, like it's paid out over like seventy years. Oh dang. So they'll, so they'll be paying him a million a year for forever. Yeah, I swear that's what I heard. It was something crazy like that that he just get he gets a lot right now, and then it's just yeah, like you know what's that? What was that guy that the the Mets are still paying? Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Um, it's not. It's not like uh, Bobby Ayala or something. It's, it's Bobby something. I feel like or, uh, yeah, not Bobby Ayala. No, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Bobby Ayala isn't worth any money. <laughs> yeah, no. Who is? Uh, He's maybe worth a bucket of baseball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Say so, yeah, that's that's gonna kill me now. But yeah, 
anyways, same same idea though as what I thought I heard is that yeah, it's like it's, a lot of money, a lot of money up front for the buyout, but then it's just it's like just short it's just an annuity payments. that's gonna get paid out years over years and years and years and years. But I think it's still fully guaranteed. He's getting all that like seventy six million. So if he takes a job somewhere else, yeah, then he just gets the maybe vanilla. Vanilla. Yeah. Vanilla. Bobby Vanilla. That's yeah. what it is. That's, I think that's Bobby Bonilla. Bonilla. Yeah. Bonilla. Yeah. I think that's the name. Well, well done. Um, we did it. Yeah. But I, I someone's going to, I mean, one of those ACC teams or SEC teams is going to come knocking for him. I just have to imagine. Yeah. Luke, you talked about age with coaches. Let's talk about the second oldest coach currently in the NFL, Bill Belichick. They were something that came out this week basically saying that uh, the Patriots and Belichick might mutually part ways at the end of the season. So if that were to happen, which I don't know the truth behind that, I think they signed a long-term deal at the beginning of this season, but I mean, obviously they can walk away from it. But if that were to happen, what's next for both parties? Well, first thing I'll say is that because I heard this, uh, I'll just reference Dan Patrick because they talked about that, is that the Bill Belichick story and all of that is because he's always big on this. And it's fair is that it's like there's a difference between a report, which means that you have heard something from a source and like you can you're reporting it's actual journalism and just speculation. He's like, this is all just speculation. This is a reporter being like, not like I'm hearing, just like, I think just like we right now are not journalists reporting what we think is good or what is going to happen to Bill Belichick. We're just offering an opinion of what we think may or may not happen, which is why it's kind of silly that that story got as much traction as it did. Cause it's like, this guy isn't citing any sources saying like, I'm hearing from my sources and upper management that these are the talks. It's just literally offering an opinion like we're doing right now. I do think that there's a, a few interesting factors with Bill Belichick moving forward is that he is only like 15 wins away from having the most wins as an NFL head coach, which on a normal year would be like, you'll have that by next season or at, like at the beginning of the year, I think it was yeah. like 18 or 20 or something like that, you know, somewhere in that 15 to 20 ballpark beginning of the year, would be like, you'll have that by next year. No problem. But now the Patriots are like the worst team in the NFL so do you try to just gut it out and keep grinding through some seasons to try to get there? The other thing is is that Nigel and I had talked about this before, and I'll rope it in with like Greg Popovich in the Spurs, is that he had fallen on hard times. His team was really bad. And then, bada boom, you get the number one overall pick. You get Victor Wembanyama. I think... I think Greg Popovich is going to stay in San Antonio now because you have a generational talent that can really turn your team around. Patriots are really bad. They're going to have a top five pick at worst, if not the first overall pick or second or third. Do you think that there's a generational player at the quarterback position in this draft that Bill Belichick's like, I ain't going anywhere. Like, or at the very least, let's see where we end in the draft, where my draft pick is, because he might be like, Oh, we got a chance at Caleb Williams, Drake May, Michael Penix. Like, pick whatever you want. Resign Mac Jones. Resign Mac Jones. <laughs> you know, but maybe like you, maybe for Bill Belichick, you like you see that and be like, 
No, I can gut it out because, like, I got a chance to get a guy that I can do something with. And, you know, I think it's easy to be doom or gloom, you know, doom and gloom right now when they're being bad. But he knows how to coach defense. Mac Jones obviously sucks and their whole offense kind of sucks. But maybe if you think there's a generational talent at quarterback that you can get in this draft that's just going to change your fortunes, might get a second lease on coaching here at the back end of your career. See if uh, see if they'll, the uh, commanders will take Sam Howell for Mac Jones straight up. <laughs> I wouldn't do that if I were the commanders. <laughs> if you were the commanders, yeah. Yeah, why would you? Yeah. Sam Howell looks good. I, I guess the last que- or two more questions with that. In the hypothetical world, they did part ways and he stayed in the NFL. What team could you see him going to? Commanders. Commanders is uh, definitely a team I could see. Um, trying to think of other any others off the top of my head. Well, Nigel thinks I'll elaborate on on that. Is that a obviously you have a young quarterback. Uh, Location-wise, it's obviously similar similar area, so it's not like you're going super far. And just the fact that he has a brand-new owner in there, that I feel like, whether you like it or not, and I think a lot of Patriots fans probably don't like it, is that like Bill Belichick is you know GM and coach, so he wants all that power. Maybe the new owner in there, like, that's fine. Bill, like, I want Bill Belichick here. I'll give you the keys to the castle here. Whereas other people might be a little more seasoned owners might be a little bit more like, nah, I need some of my guys here. I need some of my, you know, you can have your guys here. I need my guys here and like divide and conquer where I think maybe, maybe with a new young gun owner might be a little bit like, I love what you've done, Bill, like keys of the castle. Go ahead. You sticking with the commanders? Um, I mean, I'll throw a, I'll throw a team out there, I guess, just for fun. Uh, cause I think he has some history there. Maybe going back to the Browns, isn't that where he, he, yeah. he went, he started out before. So maybe you, you put that as your book in most, most people that get out of Cleveland don't go <laughs> yeah. back. Yeah. Well, you he, just, he, you just, you just he, think you're lucky stars. You got yeah, out of well, there. Belichick can be like LeBron and bring it one championship, uh, Back to Cleveland. See, that's why I'd say more then, uh, more likely is that I don't know that they're trying to fire twenty twenty two coach of the year, but New York Giants. Yeah, that could also be. They yeah. won a Super Bowl there under that Bill could, Parcells. Like, yeah, maybe if they wanted to part ways, be like, I'll go back to New York and try to do it again. Yeah, yeah. The problem but is that place is even more yeah, of a dumpster fire. A, yeah, you you don't have anything going on there. Maybe you could. Uh, yeah, you don't even have draft picks there. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's a brutal one. And then my second question, this is a lame question, but I I don't know if I've ever heard your guys' take on this. It's kind of the old story, but do you think that Bill Belichick's success was solely based off of, not solely, but a lot based off of Brady, and this is showing that he needs Brady in order to succeed, or do you think this is just a rough couple years? I think it could be a little bit of both. Because, I mean, if you've seen, I mean, I think they had like a Bill Belichick documentary before. I can't remember if it was specifically about him, but I know I watched it. It It's like he went to that Browns team that was horrible and brought them to the playoffs. He's a defensive guy. Yeah. And everywhere he's gone, his defense is good. And then he went to the Giants, and that was a great defense with LT, 
And then obviously Bill Parcells is the head coach. And then during his time with the Patriots, like it's usually been there, you know, there's the, uh, the undefeated season that they lost in the Super Bowl where they were, you know, the, a great offensive team. They're always a good offensive team, but they're more so known for their defense Yeah, in new England. So he is a great coach, but I think, I think it would be disrespectful to both of them to say that it's like, oh, well, it was only Tom Brady or not that anybody's saying that Tom Brady only did well because of Belichick, but it's like, you know, it's just a perfect marriage of like Tom Brady's a generational talent at quarterback that can be the OC, even though they have good OCs kind of that during their time and can handle that aspect of it. And Belichick can focus on the defense, which is what he's great at. And now you have a complete football team. Yeah, it, it seems like, I mean, I, I'm going to say, I'm going to agree with Luke that it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, they both helped each other out. But it, it's like they have the formula wrong now. Like, they forgot because they had so many years that they got away with, like, Tommy's just the entire offense. And it's like, we don't need any receivers. We're just going to, like, invest in a couple defensive guys and and we'll pay Tommy and have a good O line because they always had Nate sold like they always had a good O line. It's like the rest of the pieces don't don't matter. Like Tom Brady, Tommy's the boat that rises yeah, all tides. Exactly. We don't need to spend money there. Yeah, spend it on defense. And now spend you, it on offensive. Now line. you do the same, and like you got lucky a little bit too because you got a guy like Edelman who's kind of a workhorse in that in that system. Not kind of workhorse. He was he was a dude in that system. And so you got Randy Moss for a bucket of baseballs yeah, at exactly. that point. Yeah, you got Randy Moss at one point, but that's like the only I would say real talented guy. It's like Branch was talented, kind you of. You got Corey him. Dillon at the end of his career, yeah, who got, was really good. It still had some tread on the tires, but you got him at a bargain price. Yeah, you. They got a couple of pieces like that, but it's like most of the time it was just guys that were not good anywhere else. Branch came to the Seahawks when we had a good offense with Holmgren, and he was dog water you know yeah. and then and then went back to the patriots the next season i'm pretty sure uh or we cut him that year and he went back to the patriots so it's like they've they've made do with with having a system in place that i just don't think is sustain sustainable for them anymore and so i think he needs to or the patriots in general need to rethink that because mac jones clearly mac jones was a good quarterback at Alabama when he had talented receivers all around him and he had the Heisman trophy winner on his team, you know? So I, I, yeah, if he was, if he was, if him and Brock Purdy switch places, I wouldn't doubt that we'd be saying the same thing about Mac Jones as we do, uh, Brock Purdy. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, all of what Nigel is saying, uh, I'd say my final point on your original question is just that, uh, I think, I think uh, Bill Belichick, the GM, wouldn't fire Bill Belichick, the coach, because you know that he's a great coach, and that shouldn't. And just because he had Tom Brady, shouldn't take it away from him. But you need to fire Bill Belichick, the GM, because he has held back this team. That's what the issue is, and that's kind of what Nigel was speaking to. Is that like you got away a long time because you had Tom Brady, and you didn't need when he was the GM. You didn't need to go get guys and draft use high draft picks to get offensive skill positions because you had a quarterback who could make anybody look good. And so you, and then they were always getting these diamond in the rough players because he does know how to coach and get the most out of them. 
But now you don't have the greatest quarterback of all time. So, And I just don't think Bill Belichick, the GM, is really caught up with what is happening right now for yeah. his team. Yeah, he's not and, paying any receivers $25 million a year to go be the best receiver in the NFL. You know, like, he's... That, and that's, and just the, his, that's the type of guy. They and just his mean. scouting hasn't been very good. I mean, yeah. I liked the guy when he came out, but they drafted in Keel Harry, you know, before A.J. Brown or D.K. Metcalf. Yeah. You know, so like, and we don't have their drafts in front of us, but it's like, I'm sure I could look up and down their drafts and you're just going to see a bunch of guys that they've picked. They're just like, bad pick, bad pick, bad pick. Probably not on the defensive end, though. Not as much on the defensive side, you know. but I think there's still some misses in there, but you just don't see the misses as big because they're still a good defensive team and they're coached up well. But definitely on the offensive side, it's just like dog water, dog water, dog water. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the biggest thing that you're seeing is a old man that's done it all, has had way too much success. And now still has too much power. Kind of like what you're saying back to the GM part. You add all those equations together, and then you also possibly have yes man all around you as well. It's like that usually doesn't lead to any kind of long-term success. And I think once Brady left and they were so stuck in their ways and they had so much success doing it the same way over and over, now you're seeing the results of that without having that key element. I think if he could take a... Kind of like like you said, take just the coaching role and allow someone else to be a GM and bring him the talent that he needs on offense. You might see a whole different team. I just don't think he's ever going to be the type of guy that would accept that. Yeah, and that might be his real downfall. He also he did it finally this year. He got an OC and Bill O'Brien, who is a good play caller. Yeah, versus but, Matt Patricia, who's a who was a defensive, defensive coordinator. coordinator for years and years. So that's like like Mac Jones doesn't look good, but it's like kind of similar to what we've said before with. Justin Fields, but might even be worse for Mac Jones. Is like Mac Jones has no talent on offense. I mean, your best offensive player is probably Ramondre Stevenson, who also is a guy who kind of came out of nowhere, and he's a nice enough player, but you know he's a running back that gets you three point eight yards a carry. Like that's nice, but that's not anything special. Yeah, it's not an offensive powerhouse. And then you and then you had an OC his first year. And I don't remember, or it was probably uh, the guy who just got fired for uh, Josh McDaniels. Yeah, Josh, Josh McDaniels, Josh and he looks pretty good his rookie year. Josh McDaniels leaves. They replace him with a defensive coordinator to call the plays. He looks really bad. They replace him again. So Mac Jones had three different, well, two different offensive coordinators and one defensive coordinator in his three years. Is is it illegal in the NFL or against policy? for the Patriots to hire Josh McDaniels back as like a, a consultant this year. I don't see why not. Ma- maybe I, there is in season. I wouldn't be yeah, I like since he's already been on a team a coach already like going coming back as a consultant cuz I would not be surprised if if he, he's not hired at least somewhere on that staff by next by next season. Like I think that's a guarantee. I'm, well, assuming Belichick is back, I'm sure he'll be back. Yeah. But I'd be curious if you, if they can uh, sign him as like a some kind of consultant. Well, in true in true nepotism fashion, is that Bill Bill Belichick will step down. I actually don't think he will. I think he's going to ride this out and try to get a top pick and hopefully get a quarterback and see what he can do at least for one more year. But 
uh, he'll he'll end up getting he'll step down or get fired, and they'll just bring Josh McDaniels in as the Patriots head coach, and he'll get his fourth crack at being a head coach. Meanwhile, a guy like Eric Bieniemy, who's the OC at Washington, that's making Sam Howell look like a top ten quarterback in the league, will be relegated to finding another OC job somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's move on to the MLB real quick. I want to talk about two big names right now. We have Juan Soto that reports are showing this week that he's a hundred or I guess it was last week, but a hundred percent likely to be traded. And we also have Cody Bellinger as a free agent. Now the national media is going to tell you that they're both going to the Yankees. That's already lit. I've been reading, especially Juan Soto. It's like a guarantee. If you would look on Bleacher Report or anything right now, you guys interested? You want to go for him for the Seattle Mariners? I mean, I'll take I'll take anybody and everybody, but I don't think. But you also still I, have Otani to worry about. Th- there's no way that knowing the Mariners that they would pay Otani and Juan Soto. Yeah, I mean that's Juan Soto's on a two hundred plus million dollar contract. I, I don't know what the exact number is, but so I, th- I think if Belly I the, might be in the ballpark. If I have the choice between Soto and or going all in on Soto or going all in on Otani, I'd take Otani just because you don't have to give up all of your your entire farm in order to do that as well. Yeah. Um, which is nice. But if it's if it's Soto or no one, <laughs> then I would obviously take Soto, you know. And Would you be willing to trade? I mean, because it's going to take a lot to get him. Would you be willing to make that trade or just let it pass? Um, I think I'd be willing to make that trade. The Mariners is Belly a free agent? Yes, he said I, he was on a one-year deal with the. Cubs. This might be a this might be a Luke Cold take, but I, I think I'd almost given what you have to get give up. I think I'd almost want Bellinger over Soto if it's either or. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I just don't know that as bad as that worse, especially for short term. You know, because Soto is on a long-term contract, right? Yeah. So you figure that like he's still a young player and so you still might see the best years ahead of him but if you're thinking next year and the year after I wouldn't be shocked if Bellinger has just as good a numbers as Juan Soto does it'd be the years after that that Soto you would expect will be a much much better player yeah but, but you don't have to give up anything for him other than dollars I I, I mean I'll, I'll lean towards free agents generally regardless if it's one or the other but I would make the trade if that was the only option, let's say. Like, you can have Soto, but it's going to cost you Bryce Miller and, and insert whoever other three players from the from the farm. Let's say – and throw Logan Gilbert in there too. Um, I would say run it just because you, you've already proven that you can find arms, which is most of what you're going to give up, I think, during – during that process, like Mariners have a have a knack for finding arms on on the street, you know anybody can come here and pitch. It seems like so. I'd rather take the bat of Soto and and just everything. Like that guy is a true monster. <laughs> so yeah, although I, I don't think he was very good last year, I don't think he had a very good season. I, I don't care. He's still it's a ju- guy. It's just, it's, He's still a guy. It's just He's like better than what we have. It's your Julio argument that you made all of last season that it's like his floor is higher than every other person's ceiling pretty much on the team except julio 
So like his not really good year was probably 255, 265, you know, and 30 bombs, 27 bombs. Like that's his horrible year. The worst Completely year, fair. The worst year he's going to have in his career is probably who the second best player on the Mariners was this year. So, it, you know, that's a, I think I'd trade that any day of the week for a guy that could potentially do a lot more damage and, and I assume will do a lot more damage in his days to come. Yeah. I, I'm going off the top of my head, but I think yeah. if I read it correctly... I was ever... wrong. I was wrong. Okay. Let me see if I got this correct, though. I think he led the National League in walks. I don't know if that's up on the I don't. Ha- I don't have his walks up here. But I think he was an average mid-200s, 35 bombs. Does that sound about right? 275, 35 dingers, 109 ribbies. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. And that's and that's still probably like a lower end year for him. Still, you know, yeah. like power's probably right around there. Oh, wow. Thirty five yeah. and one oh nine average could probably be an extra ten to fifteen points higher. Yeah, and the, but and the, and I think he's capable of even more than that. Obviously, yeah, like, definitely. No, like I said, that's his. That's more of his like mid tier ability. Yeah, exactly. But, but why are the Padres? Now walking away from this because they're the ones that made the big splash trade with the Nationals in order to get him and then sign the long-term deal. Well, I would assume part of that is just, um, I'm guessing financially, you sign that deal with the thought that you're going to the playoffs every year for the next couple of years. And so when you don't, maybe it's like... They probably lost a ton of money these last couple of years. Exactly. So you kind of sold out. And so it's like, we need to get this off, at least this contract off the books and then, you know, they still have deep pockets, I think. So they, I'm sure they can make another deal. Like, let's get this $200 million off our books. If we are making a run at it again next year, we'll find another guy to go trade and, or rent for, for $20 million for, for one season instead of doing the $200 million deal. And we'll be right back in the same place. Like, I don't, I think they have the, the kind of money to throw around that they're like, let's just unload the big contract so that's not on the books. And and then if we're in the in the hunt, we'll go pay thirty million dollars for a rental. See, and this is I guess that would just be my biggest concern though. If the Mariners went out and tried to make that trade, is that are they going to be running into the same issues a few years from now? Especially if it takes half the farm system to get them. Maybe, but like, it, is it I, worth the risk? If, I, if maybe I think so because if, if you if Soto's what twenty five, twenty six right now, twenty five. So if in five years the experiment doesn't work, he's still only thirty. Yeah, and so it's like you can go unload him and gain all your farm system back and more because he's going to be in the middle of his prime at that point. So it's like you give it a shot; it doesn't work in four years. You're like, okay, well now we'll go take all the best young pitchers back from a different team to trade them off to whoever wants it. So I yeah. think I think it'd be worth. Here's here's what I think that they should do is that because we are obviously all arguing under the pretense that they will not pay Otani and pay the price for Soto, right? So if it's like one or the other, I'd almost argue that, because uh, I've heard this I've heard this through you know, Twitter or whatever, is that Blake Snell is a free agent, and he wants to come to Seattle. He's from Seattle. The Mariners are his favorite team. Mariners should go trade, and if you have to trade Logan Gilbert and or Bryce Miller or uh, Emerson Hancock, like you need to get rid of some of your pitching, Go get Juan Soto and then go sign Blake Snell. Snell's thirty; he's still going to command a good price, but it's you know it's probably not top top dollar. It's still probably a lot. 
because he's a really good pitcher. I mean, I think I just saw he had like a 2-2 ERA last year. So still, he's in the, the prime of his career, but he's he's the same age as Otani, though. So you don't go pay Otani for a guy who may or may not pitch and be effective the rest of his career. You get Blake Snell, who is a better pitcher than Otani and has proven it, at least like longevity-wise. And you get Juan Soto, who's a similar type bat to Otani. And now you have your Otani packaged into one, and you are going to get a big contract from Soto and a big contract from Snell. You got to give up some pieces. Like, there's your option if you can't get Otani. I don't think it's that crazy of an idea. And if and he wants and Snell wants to come to Seattle. Yeah, I'm not saying he's going to take a discount, but he might be one of those guys like we've talked about before, where it's like Trevor Simeon. You know, you had to pay him. 30, 40% over what other plays because it's like, I don't want to play in Seattle. Most guys don't want to play in Seattle, so you'd have to overpay him. He might be the guy that you're not underpaying him, but you might he might be more quick to be you like... You get him for the market price. You get him for the actual market price because he wants to play there. Um, I'm seeing here that Soto isn't on a contract or not a long-term contract. Right oh, now. he's not? No, he's he has... One more year of arbitration that they estimate will be at $27 million for this next year. And then he's – and I kind of remember this at, at like, part of why he was traded originally, I think, was because he was he was already saying with Washington that he wasn't going to sign a long-term contract with them. So then they traded him off for, for all the prospects, and he still didn't sign a long-term contract with San Diego. So after this season, he's, he's an unrestricted free agent. After the 2024 season. So you'd you'd have to sign him, or you'd have to trade for him and hope that he's going to agree to a, a $500 million deal, probably. And it seems that. like the guy already has a commitment issue as it is. Because he's had, I remember at the time the Nationals offered him a lot of money, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I'm sure they yeah, did. I thought he turned down like a, I, I thought I it was they, like a 10-year $300 million. Yeah, I think that's And they called him stupid, but now I'd say he looks smart because just everything keeps going up, and it's like, yeah. you're offering me $30 yeah, million a year. I get Boris. that in arbitration. Yeah, his agent is Scott Boris, so like yeah. he's going to get the most money in yeah. you know, like, most money. Possible. I'll hit free agency when I'm 26 years old. Yeah. Then then you'll have to pay me $50 million a year. Exactly. So. so I don't know if it's a commitment issue. I think it's just business, and the guy and, I, and, and the I guy's good at business. Why, and I that's why that's why San Diego wants to try to offload him before this year. So they're like, we're he's not going to agree to a long term deal with us right now at a discount. So let's try to let's try to get some prospects back for him. We made our little run at this, and then you know. So I'd be curious to. I I would assume that you would want to make that deal with the knowledge that he's definitely signing a long term deal with you. Otherwise that kind of changes it a little bit. If you're, if you're renting him for one season and paying him $30 million or whatever they estimate it, estimate is, it's a little dicier, but yeah, I still although, say, fuck it, let's go although it depends on what you get rid of is that with that knowledge in mind, I'm almost willing to guarantee that Juan Soto has the best year of his career barring injury. Probably true. Cause it's his chance to cash in. Yeah. And so one yeah, year, have his, one year, have his 20, Aaron Judge year where he hit sixty dingers. Exactly, just like Aaron like, Judge did. Bet yeah. on myself. You want? I'll take twenty-seven million in arbitration, and I gotta have the best season of my life, and I'll get paid. My great, great, great grandchildren will be set for life if I have one good season. Yeah, watch me go, and then yeah, he'll hit fifty dingers. 
and hit 300. Yeah, so maybe that's why it is. He probably doesn't want to come to the. He doesn't want to come to the Mariners. He's gonna. He's gonna have to compete against the Marine layer. No me gusta Marine layer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, where's the where's the shortest Via con Dios. Yankee Stadium? There we go. I'm gonna go go there for one year. Yeah, and go exactly. Get, get my sixty bombs for the Yankees, and then uh, and then see who pays me fifty million a year. Except he's a no. He is a lefty. Yeah, yeah, he'll be in, he'll be in a Yankees jersey. Yeah, or a Boston that, jersey. That short porch. Yeah, either one of those. The short porch down right field. Damn that that does make a lot of sense. We just cracked the code. Okay, so I guess that will conclude the national headlines for the week. Let's just jump right into this weekend with uh, with Huskies. Nigel's going to lead us through with a little play by play action of some of the highlights. Uh, working on his color commentator. Uh, work let's uh let's hear it nige get after it get after it well uh all right i'm i'll start it off huskies were playing uh number 18 utah this week at home um obviously obviously big game uh huskies led off the scoring in the game uh michael Penix, the adding to his heisman campaign ran in, ran in a little short touchdown uh Utah was pretty quick to strike back, uh, easily easily scored on the next drive. Um, then Huskies Huskies went down the field and uh, kicked a field goal, which I thought was pretty impressive, given uh, given how windy and rainy it was that day. It was a, it was pretty stormy, and I just don't have much much faith in uh, in our kicker uh, Grady Gross, but he he managed to to put it through. Huskies got the 10-7. You feeling pretty good about it, but uh, Utah went right down the field again on our defense. Scored, uh, scored uh, once again, 14-10. Um, then we uh, we we got a, a big touchdown from Roma Dunze. A nice 40-yard play. We'd also he'd just been complaining to the refs about uh, getting held that entire game at that point. This was like early in the second quarter, and. Um, just just caught a dime in the end zone while he was getting held the entire time as well and made sure to let uh, the Utah defender know about it and the referees know about it, which I'm always a fan of. Um, you think you think uh, things are going well, 17-14, and then um, Utah uh, once again scores a touchdown, got a 50-plus yard run from Vaki, which we'll talk more about him. Vaki is uh, – a safety for the Utes, who also has been uh, playing running back, and he is an absolute dude. Um, we went right back down the field, got a got a touchdown on uh, on a little wildcat play. Dylan Johnson also had a good game, which we'll talk about more. And um, this game was just like wild in the first half. There was just scoring left and right, which you didn't really expect, given again the weather in Utah. We, I kind of thought that that there uh, was going to be more of a defensive battle on their end, but no, it was uh, it was wild back and forth. And then right at the end of the half, um, Huskies defense gives up a huge play, even though there's only a minute and a half left, and um, and. Utah gets inside the 10-yard line, scores one play later on on another uh, run up the middle, which I thought was BS until I saw the replay. Um, and then we get the ball back right before half, and we'll talk more about this as well, but there's a, there's a play that the refs completely blew and uh, made us go to halftime. So halftime comes around. Uh, we kick a field goal on our first drive. Make it 27-28, never worried. 
Got to stop finally. Uh, Washington gets the ball back. And guess who? Roma Dunze, another huge tutty, 40 yards, easy. Uh, he's he's him, okay? Um, then the, the big play of the game. Um, uh, end of the third quarter, Huskies are up 33-28. Uh, we've kind of stopped them the entire the entire second half thus far, and they get a, a little bit of momentum going, get a drive down the field, and Alfonso Tupatala gets a pick on the 15-yard line, and he's taking it house. He's on the 40, the 30, the 20, 10, 5, 2, and he drops the ball and does not get into the end zone. It was one of the most infuriating things I've ever seen. I actually didn't see it live because I was already celebrating and um, and then I realized that we didn't score a touchdown because Tupatal is an idiot. But the Huskies totally redeemed themselves. Je- uh, Carson Bruner is an absolute beast and uh, should be the starting linebacker on this team. Gets a safety uh, with the help of Tuli Latuli. Gasanoa also had a huge game. And then uh, Huskies go down the field once more uh, and get stopped a few times. Into the game, got down the field, got a... Um, got a field goal attempt with a minute and a half left to go up by 10, and it was a shitty hold, and that, that worry that I, was, uh, that I had earlier in the game about the field goals uh, comes to life. They block it. Um, Huskies are still only up by 7 with a minute and 40 left. Utah gets the ball back, and um, just to seal the deal for us, I was never worried. Uh, Dom Hampton gets the pick, and the game is over. Dogs win, go on to be 10 and 0, 35 28 Huskies. I feel that was awesome. <laughs> that was, the fastest, that was the better. fastest three minutes that you've ever had. That's the segment. That's what it's called. The yeah, the best segment. three minutes of your life. <laughs> I hope that was as good for you as it was for me. <laughs> and I'm spent. Luke, you want to talk about the Huskies now? <laughs> Boy, would I love to. That uh, went way better than I thought it was going to. That was yeah. so good. At yeah. least in my head. I mean, we yeah. all listen back on it. Like, oh, wow. That yeah. was wow, that was terrible. That was dog 50, water. 40, <laughs> 2. <laughs> that was dog water. Uh, yeah, anyway. So, I mean, I'll... Uh, I just, think you need to take a breath. Get yeah, I need to. Yeah, I was gonna say I'll I'll, uh, I'll give it to Luke for a minute, and yeah, he Luke. can kind of kind of cue up the game and his thoughts on everything as well. Yeah, Luke, what was your initial or what was your take of the game? I mean, really, it was just a tale of two halves. I mean, as Nigel kind of teased in his slowest three minutes or whatever you called it, <laughs> the best three minutes of your life. Uh, yeah, the best. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the most satisfying three minutes of football. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Is that you thought going into the day with the, uh, it was actually beautiful out that we thought it was going to rain all day. And the first half it was like sunny and warm. I got, I got a sunburn honestly by being in the stadium. Yeah, shocker of the century. The ginger gets a sunburn. Yeah. That's not saying a lot, <laughs> Yeah, but who had that on the, but it was, card? it was clear skies and sunny for the first half, but it was pretty windy. So you thought like offense is going to be at a premium in the first half. Maybe if they settle in a little bit, but both teams just kind of came out churning. Um, nobody would have had uh, Barnes, their quarterback, having over 200 yards passing, you would think, for maybe maybe by the fourth quarter. And he had it in the second quarter yeah. against the Huskies. And the defense, honestly, was just looking all out of sorts. Yeah, they were completely 
completely lost. In Utah the wasn't time. running the ball, and maybe that's what maybe that's where they got him is that they just kind of hit him with the changeup. That it's like it's windy out. Utah's not going to want to pass the ball and get quick three and outs. They're going to run the ball and they're going to control the clock, and that's what we're geared up for. And they just caught us on a misstep and kept throwing it. Yeah, it's kind of funny, though, because you would think that that would be the game plan, you know, is that we're gearing up to stop the run on them, and we're going to expect them to throw because we are... Yeah, we got we the are, box we are, loaded. Yeah, we're loading that box. Yeah. <laughs> which which also is that, like I said, is that uh, I'll jump around a little bit, but I think, I think their quarterback had, like, 232 pass yards in the first half of the game he ended with 267 i'm gonna get into the second half because while you were doing that i was just looking at the the plays for the second half i'm gonna give a quick little rundown of that because seeing it on paper is it's even crazier but he had 232 passing yards i think in the first half he had the screen pass to Vaki, who like you said is their safety and like that guy's a monster and he took it like 53 yards and then he gave up that one blown play like you said right before halftime it's just inexcusable yeah it's like a minute left in the half dom hampton gets smoked don't get beat deep and you give up a 60 yard touchdown or something like that so there's half a 60 yard pass and then dom caught him and oh that's right play to that tight end that had never yeah but basically there's half your passing yards on two blown plays one is a check down to the running back or was it a true screen pass? I can't even remember. I thought it was just a check down. Yeah, I think it was. Back. I think it was a true screen because the the they had blocker, they had linemen out front blocking on sure. it. But but yeah, a screen pass that goes for fifty and a broken coverage downfield right before halftime. So outside of that, there was some issues on defense, but it wasn't. That was the majority of their yards, and obviously both of those led that led to half their points were those two plays. Yeah. Honestly, that screen pass was uh, kind of reminiscent of the um, USC game the week before where they ran the, the screen pass uh, flea flicker play where oh, the yeah. running back like goes all the way outside, then gets the pass thrown to them, comes back all the way to the quarterback. Like They kind of ran the same action on that except Vaki then he goes all the way to the sideline, then works back. And like the screen's kind of delayed, and then and then goes and then goes the Jets, house call on it, and then it. puts the Jets on. <laughs> yeah, and somehow beats all the Husky DBs. That Vaki dude, when we went back and watched the game, I was just like shocked because I had heard that, you know, going into the game that he was, you know, a, a stud. Haven't watched much Utah this year, but um, just how many of those plays in the first half were Vaki like? either the big touchdown or like a third, a crucial third down where he like gets tackled in the backfield and somehow stays on like Spider-Man's and stays up and then runs it for eight yards for yeah, the they first honestly down. didn't get him the ball enough. I think <laughs> yeah. he only had like eight touches in total, four carries, four yeah. catches. Yeah. I think is what is what and he I had saw. two touchdowns. I feel like out of that as Sorry, well. He had one carry for negative four yards and he had four catches for 67. Did he have two touchdowns or one? Just one. Okay. Yeah. Either way, though, I feel like all he might have those... got he might have got a run called back or something too in there. I feel like all those touches outside of the one I remember the one that he got stuffed on because I'm pretty sure uh, Mish got a tackle for loss on him on it. But outside of that, all the all those passes were were like big plays. Like whether or not it was a, a big yardage play, it was a big 
moment in the in the game where he like made a made a first down or a touchdown. So he was definitely impactful and was you know fit the bill. And he also he crushed uh, he crushed uh, Polk going across the middle on on. Uh, on that like deep deep crosser and just absolutely sends sends Culp into another stratosphere on a hit. Yeah, the guy perfectly the guy was clean. A good player. Yeah, I yeah. thought I was. I thought Culp was going to be out for season on it, and luckily he jumped right back up and and kept playing. Was good to go, but man, he smoked him hard on it. Yeah, Utah also again you kind of teased it in your little breakdown, but Utah looked like they really came out with a. Pete Carroll esque uh, agenda from 2013. It was that was hold the receivers every time. Yeah, every I honestly I'm a biased Husky fan, but every time they threw it to Roma Dunze or Polk or anybody is really those two guys because they're the main ones that are going downfield. They were just getting held, and they could have called PI every time. Yeah, that's what it seemed like. That and, but game. credit to Utah's. I think, like I said, I think that's a directive by their coaches is that get physical with them, hold them. If they want to call PI every time, it's even better in college than it is in the NFL. It's a 15 yard penalty. Yeah. They're running a 40 yard uh, route downfield and they're getting by you. Like that's a 15 yard penalty as opposed to a 50 yard catch. And you kind of saw it because a basically got held every time he got targeted, but the times that he was able to get a catch, he had three for 111 and two touchdowns is like they were holding him every route that he ran but when he got enough separation that or the ball was just thrown a little better to him that he could make the catch while being held yeah then he made it and you know 35 yards a catch yeah there was also just a lot of uh i mean outside of the holding a lot of balls that kind of sailed in that game especially early especially early with the wind wind kicked up like I I remember there was I think it was one to Rome actually that he was open like wide open for a touchdown and I like I swear the ball like left Penix's hands going downward a downward trajectory and somehow ended up like eight feet over <laughs> over Rome's head and just like there was some there was some funky funky movement on the ball going on which is to be expected when it's seventeen eighteen nineteen mile an hour winds consi- consistently all day so. Um, yeah, I'll fast forward real quick. Again, you'd kind of mentioned it, is that I just go right to the end of the first half. There was a lot of weird little things in this game, like I said just a second ago. A lot of defensive holding on the DBs that I think could have been called that they got away with. But easily the most egregious thing in the first half. Defense is struggling. They give up 28 points. Huskies offense is still kind of cooking. I mean, to... Quote, the producer of the show is at the game and isn't the biggest football fan. He's like, that looked like about as bad as the Huskies have, could have been. But they're only down four points. It's like, something's got to give here, right? And right before halftime, you get the ball back and they call that illegal, illegal or ineligible receiver downfield yeah. on Quentin Moore. And I... Did you see Ryan Grubb's comments on it today? Yes. Yeah, basically like, we, ha- we had our play, we had our look, refs just need to execute. Yeah. They, they just fucked it up. Even Brock Hewitt on the call, like, didn't, you know, he's more of a company man. He can't really call him out too hard. But I said as they're running into the tunnel, he's just kind of like, 
yeah, I, I got to keep looking at this because I don't know. I don't know what I'm looking at here. Like, kind of alluding to the fact that it's like, I don't know what they're calling here. Yeah. yeah. Dylan Johnson a, is two yards. on a fourth down in like three or four. Yeah, it's like fourth the, and four right before it. halftime. Yeah. And they call our tight end on ineligible. The Huskies execute a great play, get the ball in within the 15-yard line-ish somewhere. Yeah, that was like a 15-yard catch by yeah. by uh, yeah. Westover, maybe yeah. 20 yards. Yeah. So that puts you right in that easy yeah. field goal range. And we still had time to go. Yeah, there's still 30, 40 seconds left at that Time point. to go score a touchdown, too. Yeah. And the refs just suck i don't yeah. i don't really know what else to Back say about refs. It. you say it every week it seems like there's some some kind of kooky thing they, there was another one in the uh usc game that was pretty egregious too the uh um what did they call it um disconcerting uh signals or something like that where they where the d-line stems and then uh and then the the uh, Oregon center snaps the ball and then realizes it wasn't on the count and and they call it a penalty. Yeah, the, the D defense. lineman yeah, like kind of gave him a hezzy with his head while yeah. he was like shifting his alignment. And yeah. The, yeah, like disconcerting signals by the defensive line. That's a defensive false yeah, I start. Do, I don't, like, for one, I what? don't think that's a real penalty. I'd love to see if uh, disconcerting signals is a real penalty, <laughs> like wavy arm motion from a few years back. Illegal wavy arm motion. But anyway, so moving on to the second half. Yeah, well, my last note on it too is it just like, I at what point does like, it, it feels like it's kind of condescending, but at what point does like Grub and company need to go up to the refs before the game be like, I'm going to show you a couple plays here so you won't, because they called a penalty, I can't remember if we talked about this, USC game for the Huskies when we ran the, like the, fake wild or not the fake wildcat to Dylan Johnson where they ended up calling a false start on the Huskies where Penix is kind of lined up at the quarterback and then he steps over and he's kind of looking to get the signal and Roma Dunze is like looking over like where they're holding up the play call and they snap it to Dylan Johnson and they called like a false start on Roma Dunze for like mimicking like the play wasn't happening because they're trying to make it look like that they're not going to call hike like, Oh, we're all looking back to get a play signal. And it's like hike right to the running back, run up the middle. I was like, does grub need to help go have a conference with them? Be like, so we run these plays and they're like kind of tricky for people who don't know what they're doing, which is the team <laughs> we're playing against and the referees. So like, this isn't a false start. See how he's on the line and he's not moving. He doesn't have to look at the football. It's not a false start. If you're not looking at the ball, you could be looking the opposite way, yeah. which is what he's doing. Or in this scenario, it's like, so it's going to look like the tight end's not covered. That's the point. We have two tight ends stacked up behind each other, and then he's going to run like a delayed block, and Jack Westover's going to run out. That's not an illegal formation. You see how the running back's two yards off the line of scrimmage? Yeah. I know he is. And if he's not, I'm going to be yelling at him to get off of it. Because I know my formations. You don't know them. Yeah. And you're an idiot, and you don't know how to fucking count. So I'm going to do it for you before I call the play. Honestly, I'm kind of surprised that they don't do a little of that at least, you know? That's not, like, at what point yeah, do you have like, to I, have your conference? I mean, I've heard I've heard that, like, I think it was a couple weeks ago with um, with Kyle Shanahan doing it in, a, in one of the games where he's like, 
like eighty five is gonna like they call he called timeout called the play and it was like for Kittle and he's like he told the ref after the timeout like eighty five is going to do this like this is this is exactly what he's going to do now so like so you know like and so I would I I'm surprised that they don't do I'd be surprised if they don't do some of that yeah and I know they do a lot of it when they have like like uh, linemen coming in and they'll be like. You know, or you change the jerseys like number eleven is reporting as eighty eight. Yeah. And so then you'd be like, So when you're setting it up, just like remember it's like this guy's not covered here. Like he's yeah. he's wearing a different jersey, XYZ, but yeah, I don't know, they've gotten burned a, a couple times and they end up winning both these games by pretty close margins, but like those are big plays. Those are conversion plays. Dylan Johnson, that was a conversion play. Yeah. I think it was third down, but yeah. Like that's a third down conversion that gets called for a false start. And then in that one, that's points off the board. And they're, it's both just because the fucking Pac-12 refs have no idea what the fuck is going on. And that's not a new story. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's it's definitely an egregious one. It's, and it's it sucks when it burns you. Or it felt like it was going to burn you just based off the momentum of that game. But luckily, the defense really turned it around in the second half and looked like the defense that you kind of hoped you would see that entire game. Yeah, I mean the quick breakdown on that, like I said, I was looking at is that I think they, I think they only had like three first downs in the entire second half, and like two or maybe four, and two or three of them were on the drive that ended in him throwing a pick. Like <laughs> I think the entire third quarter for Utah's offense was three and out, three and out, couple first downs, pick to Tupatala that gets dropped, safety. And then in the fourth quarter, it was one first down penalty that then moved them back after they got the first down and put them to like first and 20. Yeah. Then three and out from that, three and out, three and out to end the game. Or yeah. four and out to end the game. It wasn't four and out, was it? it was a pick. They went for it on fourth down. They went they went for it on fourth down. Yeah, yeah, It was like, that was it for the second half. And a big part of that yeah. is because Huskies also just flipped the script on Utah, played defense, and handed the ball off to Dylan Johnson, yeah, who had another hundred yard game, and we just controlled the clock. They only, like I said, they only had like four possession, five possessions, I think, if you count, if you count the safety possession, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like you only had five possessions in the second half. You hold them scoreless. Quarterback had like thirty yards passing in the entire second half. Yeah, you just completely shut him down, which was. Um... Which was good to see. And they didn't help themselves with some penalties for sure. Um, and that Tupatala sh- shit was just so crazy. That was like... I'm trying to not think about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was just like so euphoric. like, And then and then just despair to to euphoria again when uh, <laughs> when you get the safety. Or at least like maybe not, new, maybe not euphoria, but like at least a little sigh of relief that you didn't a uh, calming wave comes yeah, exactly. over you. It's like, all right, thought you might have a chance to make the most out of it and net points out of it. Cause then you get the two and then you get the ball back chance to go score touchdown with good field position. And now you got nine points out of it when you only would have got seven, yeah. but we didn't score on the next drive. So then you're stressing and you're only up seven points. Yeah. The remainder of the game. But I do think looking forward to the next game, as you had called out, Carson Bruner makes the big tackle on the safety. I'm just going to transition right into the Oregon State game. 
my pick to click for the Husky game, Carson Bruner. <laughs> I think they're, that's a... They're going to run the ball up the middle, and I think, especially with Tupatala dropping it, I don't think he's going to be in the doghouse because he's still played a lot of snaps and they like him. But Bruner should get a few more snaps, and that guy's just a playmaker. Has been all season. Yeah. Has been his whole career, realistically. Special he's, teams yeah. hero. Yeah, he makes he made two huge special teams tackles once again in the Utah game, like in that second half in particular, where he just like he he just demolishes people on special teams every single time. You just you you see someone get hit big on a kickoff and you're like, I already know it's number forty two. Like I don't even have to look. I I know who made that hit. So yeah. um you just come to expect it. Uh one thing before we get into a, maybe a quick thing on uh, Oregon State. I know you saw this because we talked about it, uh, um, yeah. but I just I want to bring it up because it's it's kind of interesting with the whole sign stealing scandal of this week with Jim Harbaugh. Was that early in that game we talked about the wind, um, and I know I saw this as well when it happened. I don't know how I didn't really see it on the broadcast at all. It was too far up the yeah, field. Yeah, too far up the it field. Was behind so the safeties. Didn't, yeah, you didn't see it if you were watching it on on TV. So you would have had to catch it at the game, but one of, one of the, uh, Washington, uh, coaches dropped a play sheet in, in early in the first quarter of that game. And there was so much wind going on. They like blew out of their pocket or something. And it shoots all the way across the field. And like, uh, I think it was Eddie O tried to like run and grab it. Like from on the field, he like saw it flying across and tries to grab it and misses it. And the play sheet goes right into Kyle Whittingham's hands. <laughs> that, yeah. that has all this is, of Yeah, this is not made up at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah I'm not like, making this up. It blows right to it Kyle blows, Whittingham. It, like, it's like freaking destiny. It blows right to the Utah's head coach. And and he and the referee tries to get it back from him, and he won't give it back to the ref. And he was like, the ref was like fighting him for it, basically, to give back the, the play sheet. And I, he eventually gave it back. I kind of stopped looking, but Luke said that he, you saw him give it back. Yeah, he like grabs it with his right hand and kind of like tucks it on his right hip, and the referee's on his left, and comes up to him. And I mean, I'm up in the stands; it's not yeah. like he can hear anything. But like, seems like he's clearly like, "Give me the play sheet," and he's just like, "Nop, nop, nop," chirping. I'm like, "Nop, nop, nop," and he won't do it. And it's about 30 seconds. Yeah. I think a whole play is run, though. Yeah. And then it's, like, after the play that he, like, gives it to the referee finally. But, yeah. <laughs> Everybody's trying to find an advantage. Yeah. That one I was just, interesting because was, it was so blatant. It's also just so crazy because it's, like, I saw that happening, too, blowing across the, the way. And then it's, like, the fact that it blows across the field straight. And, like, Kyle Whittingham didn't run to go get this. Like, this fucking play sheet blows across the field and lands in Kyle Whittingham's hands. Like just a wild, wild thing to me that it just happens like that. But um, I just thought that was an interesting thing. And uh, I, I can appreciate that he didn't want to give it back, but I'm glad he did. Cause <laughs> yeah, well, in the first, <laughs> Although it half, made a difference yeah, in the, the first half, half, it didn't seem like it mattered at <laughs> yeah, all. I guess that's true. I guess had no true. problem scoring against us without stealing signs. Or yeah. maybe they were, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? But yeah, so this week, big game, Oregon State. One thing I wanted to say before you guys transition to Oregon State, it was good to see uh, Jalen McMillan come back too. He was on a pitch count, but it looks yeah, like... he's yeah he's been in there a little bit still. I think I they know. said today in the press conference that they were 
just trying to get him reps because he didn't get back to practice at all until late Thursday. And I don't think he's practiced at all in the last week. So they wanted to get him a couple reps, but sounds like he's going to be practicing this week uh, is what they, I think was what they said. So we'll see. We could use him back. The guy's uh, is as much of a beast of that Rome is. It, it, I think it helps out a lot to have a guy of his caliber out there as well. So I'd love to see him uh, back out there. Yeah, and, and healthy. Jeremy Bernard Bernard looks good too, but yeah, Bernard having, got a really nice having all well. four of those guys on the field at once though is like, I think you're going to see the offense that you saw at the beginning of the year where it's just anywhere you go, there's a weapon yeah, and plus plus Culp plus uh, plus uh, our guy Jack Westover who yeah. also had a you mean Culp or Polk? <laughs> I mean saying, Culp. Oh, okay. I'm saying both tight ends. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, you know, and I, actually, I don't even want to talk about Colt because it's just going to be mean spirited. <laughs> yeah. <don't... laughs> Roma Dunes, I should have had a two point conversion pass, though. If it weren't for a trip and a drop by Colt. But, yeah, I I don't want to pile on the guy. Just, so just we'll one just thing I'll say that. real quick to quote uh, the great coach McDickin don't fall. <laughs> It's yeah. that easy. Just don't fall. Uh, so, Mich- or, uh, Oregon State, what do you think? I think it's, I mean, it's kind of cliche, but I think it's going to probably be the hardest game of the year outside of probably the Oregon game. Although, can maybe argue it's the hardest game of the year because you're on the road. And honestly, I think Oregon State's just a tough matchup for us. Good offensive line. They're going to run the ball. They're going to control the clock. They have really good defensive backs. I think it's I think it's a tough matchup. But I also think that the Huskies can pose a tough matchup for them if you just get stops early and you score often. Get up a few scores early, make them turn into a passing team. Could be a boat race. You never know. Doubt it. Doubt it because they're a good team. And they will try not... But you kind of saw WSU do that to them. Oregon State kind of brought it back. But early in that, I mean, they scored on like the second or third play of the game. Yeah, score early, score often. Yeah, just try to get them out of their element early and flip the script on them. And then, you know, you can throw them out of their game plan. But if you let them get into their game plan, which is run the ball, they got that Martinez kid at running back who's really good. Got a good offensive line uh, DJ Ungalalele, like he's a big kid. He can run the ball. He can throw a check down as well as anybody. I'm not really too worried about him going deep on our team, but at the same time, I wasn't too worried about Utah throwing the ball deep against us. And they still connected on a couple of them early in that game. One thing I'll say real quick is I was shocked that, uh, I just heard this tonight that Oregon state is favored in this game. Yeah. I think it's switched. I think we are favored to, on the opening line and it's already moved to them being favorited. Really? Yeah. Which... Okay. Yeah. It's two and a half as it stands right now. What I'm looking at. It's two and a half. Two and a half. Oh, I saw it was one. Yeah. You know what that is? That's because smart, mo- smart money is always Vegas sets the opening line and that's smart money. Dumb money comes in and it moves the line like that. And then that's when the, uh, the sharks will come in. That line will move back. I think a lot. All right, we'll see. I think I that's usually saying. how it goes. I mean, it's also 
not that I know that much about sports betting, but I feel like that's what a lot of people always say is that it's like Vegas is the one that knows these things. So if you see a line where somebody's the favorite and then the favorite flips, yeah, I mean I'm that's guessing the one a lot that you want to bet on that people because are Vegas knows home, better. Home dog, home yeah. dog. So exactly, and that draws a lot of interest. Home yeah. dog, like ranked teams. Like uh, yeah, I want exactly, especially early money. Yeah, early team. money comes in on home dogs. Yeah, and then and then the lines get reset when the uh, yeah. when the power players start to really place their bets because that's where Vegas follows their line usually. It's not for bozos like me that are betting that yeah. shift lines. It's the real. It's the people that they know who know how to bet. Once they start putting big bets down, then they really start to shift their lines. So we'll see. I don't really care that much about it. Yeah, I'd, I'd just, love it if I they're just, underdogs because Huskies could use that. Yeah, I just thought it was curious. Like, you know, ten and O team, five in the country. I know Oregon State's good and they're going to pose problems, but I just thought it was a little disrespectful. I think I think a win is a win regardless, but I think this could really be an opportunity for the Huskies to cement themselves nationally with a big win. I mean, Florida State plays like Waverly Baby Home. They have like a non-conference game against a nobody. I'm sure. I'm, I'm guessing so does the SEC this week. So Some um, of them do. Yeah. I think Georgia's playing like Auburn or something. Okay. Um but yeah, I, I think regardless if the Huskies win, they'll be in the top four because Florida State's playing nobody. Yeah. Florida State has one ranked win, but yeah, well, and they're playing a three-win. They also had an FCS unranked. School. Yeah, they had an unranked uh, game against Miami that they that they only won by seven. And they still might find themselves in the top yeah. four come tomorrow. Yeah, that's what I I saw that uh, ESPN College Football did a poll and. Uh, and Huskies, at least on the poll, were had more votes to be uh, that fourth team over over Florida State. So we'll see what see what happens. But um, I'm with you. I, I'm not really going to change anything that you said on that. Oregon State's going to be a tough game, tough matchup. But um, just for a, a fun little score prediction, I'll go. Uh, I'll go. How about thirty five? 31 dogs. Yeah, I'm kind of torn on this this one because last year I think it was 20 to 14 was the score at home. I'm looking at it right now. I see a 63 and a half over under. So right, you know, right around that 30, 30 points. I think, uh, I think this is going to be a, how about, 45-24 dogs. Love that. C- Cougars hung 45 points on them. Didn't, or maybe it was 38. Maybe it was 38-35 is what they beat them by. If the Cougars can hang 40 points on, or 38 points on uh, Oregon State, dogs can easily do better than that. All right, I'll go a little outside the box. I'll go 31-10 dogs. Let's go. <laughs> I'd love it. <laughs> Let's Defense hasn't here. shown a lot that say that they could hold anybody to 10 lately, but... Crazier things have happened. But, yeah, like you said, dogs have been a confusing team because, like I said before, is that they didn't have... USC's a great offense. They didn't have their best game, but they held them to zero points in the fourth quarter. It was 42-42. to going into the fourth quarter against USC, and they held them to zero, and you win by 10. And then you give up 28 points to Utah in the first half, and then you basically completely shut them down 
in the second half and give up zero points the entire second half. Your defense actually should have scored you a touchdown, but they got you a safety. So you outscored. Your defense outscored them in the second half. Yeah. So what 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 version of this defense are you going to get? Or, or are you going to at least see a complete performance where they, per your prediction, they only give up 10 points? Yeah, I think if they put – if the defense puts four – if the defense and the offense both put four quarters together, I don't think there's any reason why it can't be 31 or more. It should 10. be 50 to 10. If they, <laughs> yeah, if exactly. they put together – if the offense and defense put together four quarters – that's why you're the number five team in the country. Yeah. Right? That's what people are expecting, and you haven't really given it to them every week. You've, you've seen flashes on both sides. Yeah. And overall, so I, it's been a good product, but... Yeah, I'd like to see... I'd love to see the dogs just come out and do it. We kind of have always had Oregon State's number, too, especially when they were, like, a top five team. Like, we just, like, take them down perennially. So, our top ten team. I don't know if they were top five at that point, so... I don't know. I think I like uh, I like us to put four quarters together. I'd love that. Yeah, you touch on something there that I feel like unless you're a Husky fan, you wouldn't understand this, which is why I like the voters and the people that you see that hate on the dogs is that we've kind of touched on this lightly through the past podcast, although we missed a couple weeks. But it's like if you're a Husky fan, you know that the Huskies are like really bad against Arizona State always. Doesn't matter if you're at home or on the road. Like I think saw like Don James only had like three wins against Arizona State. He was like three and eight in his time. The greatest Husky coach ever was like three and eight against Arizona State. Stanford on the road, we have like one win, and it was the four win season against them. So you go there and it's like this is not gonna be an easy win. And it wasn't. And everyone's like, Oh, you suck, you barely beat Arizona State. Oh, you suck, you barely beat Stanford. It's like if you're a Husky fan, you know that like you normally lose those games. Utah, we've absolutely had their number, and they've been the better team. Oregon State, we've usually had their number, and they've been a good team. They've been some bad years in there too, but they're they've been a better team than Arizona State most of the time. Yeah, or Stan or Stanford was also really good, especially in like back the, in the Harbaugh the time. But in the last but in the last ten years, Stanford has been a lot more up yeah. and down. So it's like. You feel more confident, though, honestly, is that it's like, we have Utah's number. I don't care that they're a ranked team. Yeah. Oregon State, I don't care that they're the 12th team in the country. Like, we have their number. We always have. I mean, I'm more worried about a four-win Stanford team <laughs> than, <laughs> yeah. than I am a nine-win Oregon State team or whatever they are. Eight-win. Eight-win. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. I don't expect anybody outside to understand that at all, but. But I totally get what you're saying. It's going to be a tough game, but I'm really hoping it can be a kind of crown jewel here at the end of the season is just go out and absolutely boat race them. Yeah. Uh, my prediction, Roma Dunze, three touchdowns. He runs the, the chainsaw on him every single time. God, <laughs> yeah, Put the ball down on the ground yeah. and, <laughs> and, cha- and chainsaw. chainsaw the football. Yeah. That would be awesome. All right, well, then let's just go ahead and transition right into the next day, Sunday, for the NFL. Watch the Seahawks. It was a real barn burner for the first three quarters of the game and finally got interesting in the fourth quarter. Um, something I kind of want to jump into immediately, and we've already hit on this last week. You guys have hit it on the weeks before leading up to it, but another one of those games where you look at the stat sheet, you look at Geno Smith, he goes – 31 for 47 for 369 yards. 
and two tutties, and also had the, you know, basically the game-winning drive down the field, hitting DK for I think three passes, basically just simple in routes or slant routes to basically seal the deal, setting up Jason Myers for the game winner. All that said, you look at the stat sheet. Gino looks like he had a good game. And I know Luke's going to make comments about you throw for that many yards and you only have two touchdowns. Like, that's a red flag. But again, you look at the eye test. What did you guys see out of Geno Smith in that in that game? thought he was dog water. <laughs> Especially through the first three quarters. I think there was a point in that game where he was like, I mean, it was like 20 for 40 passing in the third quarter. And I, and right. I think we all looked at each other because we were all watching that game together. And it's like, for one, why on earth has have we passed the ball forty times in this game? Like we're we're leading, <laughs> you know, it's like we're we're in the game. Like why are Charbonnet and and uh, Ken Walker not getting more touches? Instead, we're having to watch Gino th- just throw the ball around horribly and not you know not really get anything effective. He was he was pretty decent at getting the ball from the twenty five to the fifty yard line. Uh, every time and then fizzling out every single drive. Fortunately, our defense was doing a good enough job of countering that the other way <laughs> so that so that uh, the commanders weren't really scoring all that much, or at least not outside of field goals. But um, yeah, I just don't understand why in the, why we're passing the ball 50 times in any game with Gino, like, especially again, weather game. <laughs> like you have a good, you have a, two good running backs. It's raining. It's nasty. It's windy. And, like, we're passing the ball 50 times. What is what is going on? Yeah. And, he, obviously, towards the towards the end of the game, you know, he needs to throw it. And he did have nice drives at the end there. And it's going to be passing situations. But, yeah, I remember saying that in the first half. is that I think he had 27 of his 47 pass attempts in the first half. And it's nine to three or whatever, or six to three. It's like the whole time is like, what are we, what, where is this Pete Carroll team? Yeah. Like, I can get it that if you fall down early, like in the Ravens game, whatever, you want to go to a pass happy, up tempo offense, but it's like you're in a six to three, nine to three game against the Commanders. Why is Geno throwing it almost 30 times in one half of football? Where's and now Ken Walker ended with 19 carries, which is honestly and Charbonnet had six, so you had your 25 carries. I'd still like to see that probably up to 35. I'd love to see Charbonnet touch double digits in carries at a game. He only averaged seven yards a carry in that game. God forbid you give him the ball a little bit more, yeah. take a couple of those out of Geno's hands. But yeah, like Tanner said, I don't know. I think. I mean, I see it on Twitter is that the Geno apologists like, I want to hear the Geno hate now. It's like, it's not that good of a game. 369 yards, that's a lot. On 47 attempts, you know, it's still 7.9 yards per attempt. So that's like, that's pretty decent, I think. But he threw the ball 47 times. Like, I don't. Yeah. And and you had and realistically you had seventy of those were on one play. You from had Ken Walker. You had one touchdown that was yeah basically a dump off to Ken Walker that he did all the work for you. Yeah. And then you had, and then you had the touchdown to Tyler Lockett, which was a nice drive and a nice throw. And granted, if there's more time on the clock, maybe it's another touchdown drive at the end. Although I'd also argue if there's more time on the clock, 
maybe Washington's defense doesn't absolutely fall apart there and they play more like they did. But basically you had, in my mind, because I'm a Geno hater, you had one touchdown drive on 46 passes. And you had one bailout by Ken Walker by being, being the guy, that, which is yeah. why you need to give him the ball in the first place. Yeah, is he can, t- he can make something out of nothing. Yeah. And you gave him a two-yard pass that he turned into a 64-yard touchdown. So on 46 other attempts, you scored seven. You got one touchdown drive out of it. Yeah. Like, that's not really good offense. So I don't... And like I said, unless Geno is checking out of a, a run play every time to call a pass for himself, which I don't really think is the case, that's like... What what is the mission here? Why are we throwing it that many times? It's not resulting in points. I, I don't know. It wasn't a good offensive game. Found a little bit at the end there, but that was not. I'd say the same for Sam Howell. Like Sam Howell threw a dump off pass to Brian Robinson that we multiple times pissed down our yeah yeah basically yeah. pissed down our leg and gave up a big play. You know, outside of that, it's like it's not like he really diced us apart except for the drive that he needed to right at the end of the game, which tied it up. And fortunately, the Seahawks were able to go back down the field and get a game-winning field goal. But they both kind of had, in my mind, those empty stat performance games where it's like neither of you guys could really put together a drive and score a touchdown. It's just kind of like empty yards here, empty yards here, maybe a field goal here. Yeah, it, like, it was just an like ugly was, game. The fourth like quarter could, was exciting. They could get to the forty-yard line on their side easily, but it was it, once you got inside there, it was like that's defense clamps up a little bit, yeah. and both guys look like deers in the headlights. Yeah. So I don't know. That was an ugly game. It was a great finish, and they they did put together great drives when their teams needed them to. So credit to the quarterbacks for that. What's the identity of this offense now? Do you still consider... I don't know. That was my question. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll bring it back to Nigel then. What do you think the identity is? Do you think Pete Carroll is still considered a run-first team? No, I don't think so. Even though I think there's part of him that probably wants to, but I I wouldn't consider this a run-first team. We threw the ball 50 times, and it seems like we do that... We throw the ball 50 times more often than we run the ball 30 times in a game. I, I don't have the stats for that, but I'm guessing that's I'm guessing that's true. So I, I just don't – I don't know. I don't know what the identity of the team is. And one week, one week you have tight ends involved. One week you have uh, DK involved. One week you have Lockett involved. Like – you never get Jackson or JSN involved, really. Like he, he at least had fifty yards in this game, but I still like to see him be a. All the receivers actually. I mean, Gino had three sixty nine. Like all the receivers had pretty decent games. Yeah, this game. Yeah, this game. Well, DK had like fifty yards until the last drive. Yeah. <laughs> so or maybe sixty yards until. Yeah, the last and he basically drive. doubled up on that yeah, drive. Yeah, yeah exactly. He ended with ninety eight. Yeah, and Lockett had what ninety two. Yeah. Like. Lockett and, Lockett, and, Smith Lockett and had, a, had yeah. 53 and then Walker had the 164 yard catch. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I just don't I don't know. I don't know what the identity of this team is. I I don't know why it's uh involving Gino getting getting 50 pass attempts though. Like you said, Charbonnet Charbonnet's getting 7 yards a carry. Every time he touches the ball, he looks electric. 
they at least give and they give him holes. It seems like every time he touches the ball, unlike Ken, poor Ken Walker has to get 19 carries and get hit five yards deep every single time. And then, and then scrounge together three yards when it was actually like a 12 yard run. seems like, cause he got hit and then had to juke four guys in the backfield to get his, his three yards uh, positive on it. So yeah, I don't, I don't have a good answer for you there, Tan. I guess is my, the moral of the story. Just... So let me give you a part two to that. So the centerpiece being Geno Smith, what do you think the standard is for Geno as far as like on his best day, like what's his absolute ceiling? Do you see in Geno Smith? Is he a good quarterback? Is he great in the NFL on his best day? I mean, I told you last week. I think Geno, Geno is at his best the fifteenth best quarterback in the NFL. He's just wildly mediocre. And honestly, you could point to this game and, like I said, the Gito apologist could be like, 369 yards and did all this or that. It's like, like I said before, you couldn't score any touchdowns, which at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Like, I don't really care how many, whether it's passing yards or rushing yards or penalty yards, you need to score touchdowns. That's how you win win games. But you have Ken Walker, Charbonnet, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Tyler Lockett, and DK Metcalf. What is the excuse for not getting a bunch of yards in any game? So who is the problem? Is our, is our running back room not good enough? Offensive line is probably the real problem. They're probably worse than Geno is. I'll at least give him that credit. But, I don't know, Charbonnet still averaged seven yards a carry on his light work, so they can't be that bad. Yeah, Ken Walker's still having a pretty nice season when they actually give him the ball. So the offensive line can't be that bad all the time. It's not very good. DK's a good receiver. Ty Lockett's a good receiver. Jackson Smith and Jigba's a good receiver. So who who's the issue? Yeah. Who's the guy that we need to replace? Do we need to get rid of DK and get a better receiver in here? Do we need to get rid of Ken Walker and get a better running back in here? Yeah, I don't... Or is it the guy that's running the whole thing that can't get these guys going whether that's and that could be Gino or it could be Shane Waldron you know yeah I I just think Gino's I just think it's Gino's just a the 15th best quarterback yeah and in I the think, league I think on his best day maybe you like he plays like the 10th best quarterback and on his worst day he plays like the 30th best quarterback and so he's somewhere between probably 15 and 20 on because the record shows that we're six and three right now so I'll give him the upper end of the you know He's not. The We're 20th. in the middle of the NFC. Yeah, exactly. He's not the twentieth best quarterback because he's, you know, because he's our record six and three. But it very easily could could be flip flopped. It seems like like every game is right there. So that's why I guess I'll give him the nudge there is because it's not flip flopped and we have you know we did beat Detroit. We won this game. You know, you've you've won the close games when all the margins kind of are are the same. So. Yeah, 15th. Which that's all the more shocking now is that Detroit's 7-2, and two, which I guess that part's not that shocking. I think we all thought that they would be a good team. You liked what you saw from them last year. But we're one of their two losses. Yeah. You know, and Geno did – that probably was Geno's ceiling this year was that game because he also had a really nice game there and threw for a bunch of yards and had the overtime touchdown drive to win it. So, you know, I think for the the Geno fans is that you see moments like that, and I think you're like, yeah, like, this team 
Gino is good. They can be that, but I just think over the body of his work is it's just like I guess Gino in my mind just kind of falls into the larger conversation is like what are your expectations for the Seahawks team? I can tell you mine. It's to probably win ten games this year, maybe eleven if it all comes together. And then fizzle out in the playoffs. And you'll be a, you'll get a wild card playoff game, and maybe you win it. Most likely you lose it, but maybe you win it, and then you probably get dusted by whoever you play that is a little bit better. It's the NFL, so like you play for those opportunities. Yeah, you know, the, your defense maybe I say the finds themselves. The defense is is finding themselves increasingly. Yeah. We haven't talked about that at all. But, like, the defense seems like they're edging closer and closer to actually being a good defense. Like, they blew a couple plays in this game. That's going to happen. It's the NFL. We're going to say that every single week. Like, you're not – they're not the best defense of all time. That's for sure. But they're – I think they're a good defense. I think they're a top ten defense. Their run – their run stopping, I think, would – is definitely top ten, if not – I mean, I think it's been top three or four this this season at this point. Yeah, I'd say and, both ranking and eye test would say that their run defense is. And you've only strengthened it by adding Leonard Williams, who notches a sack for you in his first first game. Second uh, game. Se- second game. Um, but notches a sack for you, has made some plays. Like, the first game, I don't even really blame, you know, you show up on Thursday the guy had to travel across the country on Thursday or on Wednesday to show up Thursday for practice to then fly out again Saturday to fly across the country to go face Baltimore in a tough game. Like, okay, he wasn't as impactful as you want. That's fine. But in this game, he made plays. You could see he was out there. Like, he was – Draymond Jones made a – got a sack. Like, he was out there. The guy that – I mean, we keep talking about him. Not going to get sick of it anytime soon. Spoon. I, I think I called out, I was like, oh, I think it's time for Spoon to get a pick. And then two plays later, he uh, he strips Sam Howell on that. And, I mean, that's just... The more the they play makes, together... The guy just makes plays. Yeah, the more they play together, too, I think just the more you're going to see this defense. So I guess that's what I'd say. Is it where, where do you see this team going? If the defense can get everything on the, on the same page and get this thing really rolling then maybe Geno can be the guy that you need, much like Russell Wilson was for the team back in 2012, 2013, 2014. That's like, you just don't need to do too much. And I've kind of heard Pete Carroll say that, and that was, I feel like, kind of the the story coming into this game where I think he kind of validates a lot of what we have kind of complained about is that I think when everything is going smoothly, Geno looks like a good player. Things get off the rails a little bit, and Gino tries to go into hero mode. I said he stands back there like he has Michael Penix offensive line, and he thinks like I gotta make this big play. I gotta hold the ball. I gotta step up around here, and I gotta try to throw it. Run in circles and run in circles, and I gotta throw the big throw downfield that's gonna open this game up. And it's just like you're not him. The yeah. defense is good. Like hand the ball off, and whether that's yeah. him checking out of runs yourself. or they're not calling enough, and it's like. Hit the checkdowns, hit the guys on schedule, keep the chains moving, time of possession. But I just think when the when the lights get bright, he's very quick to get into time for me to make the big play and be the hero. And it's like you're not. That's why you're like I said before. That's why you're the fifteenth best quarterback in the league. 
you're not capable of making those plays. Be be Josh Dobbs for the Vikings. Just do the plays that they well, actually he's been more electric lately than most people <laughs> would give him credit for. Yeah. But just do what you're supposed to do. Play within yourself. I think uh one more thing I was gonna say too with the defense, one name we haven't mentioned yet is Boy Mafe. Oh yeah, yeah. Moff. Moffey, He's looking like a real star. That's seven, seven. sacks in the last seven games. I yeah, seven fr- straight games yeah, with a sack. Yeah, that's a franchise record now, I believe. Yeah, so there's a lot to be excited about on the defensive side. Yeah, yeah. The D line, the, the D line has come together, and I mean the that DB crew is. Yeah, and Chena Owosu was still healthy too. Like, yeah, you'd be, be feeling really, even better right now. Yeah, but you know, maybe it's a blessing in disguise, just because. Boy, Amafe was already playing a bunch, but now you can't take him off the field. Yeah. That was the big problem last year that was so strange is that they like just didn't play him until the end of the year. They were still playing Bruce Irvin over Boy Amafe. Yeah. And then he, he started playing him, and you could see the improvement and the yeah, growth. And now you've, week, you've parlayed know. that into this season where now the guy's got a sack in seven straight games. Yeah. You know, I'm no mathematician, but if he did that for the course of the season, that'd be 17 sacks. That's really good. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, that's that might put you right towards the, the top. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That might put you towards the top. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's really good. Um, but Jamal Adams made some plays in that game as well. Like he made some big tackles. He was bark. He was barking at everybody, which I uh, I don't want to see uh, him get a penalty. But I don't mind him chirping and getting getting excited. And I think more than anything, it like every play, anything that was going on, he was yeah, someone's he just, face barking at him. Yeah, I think that was definitely. Well, the they need something to bring this edge back. Yeah, and I, th- I think that that Spoon like, brings it too. Oh, yeah, and that's that's exactly what I was gonna say. Is I feel like him and Spoon feed off each other a lot, and so, like that's why I like to see it is because I don't I don't think Diggs is that like that like flamboyant outspoken guy, and like. I don't think Bobby's that guy for a leader, like. But I know Jamal Adams is, and so as long as he's doing it within the uh, legalities of the game and not getting penalties for it, like I don't mind if he's barking at people because it seems like Spoon feeds off that. Not that he needs to like energy to feed off of, but like I think it just helps helps him develop and like kind of turn into that. Like give this defense like some swagger and like. People, people are a little afraid to come come yeah, play. Put you. some fear into your opponents. Exactly. Like, they're going to talk about how they're going to smack you in the mouth, and then they do. And then they do and it. Like, yeah. You know, and like I said, even in that last game, Spoon's the prime example of it. You can see him out there talking his shit the entire time, and then Sam Howell tries to go scramble, and he fucking pulls the ball out. Yeah. And he's the first guy letting everybody know about it. But it's like, you know, that's kind of the stuff that you want to see from the Seahawks defense is yeah. like talk your talk and walk your walk. Yeah, and it's same same on that. On that uh, tipped ball that he had, that he tipped up into the air on uh, when he was, had, I think he was going yeah, early in the game. Early in the game, like same thing. He gets he gets in Terry McLaurin's face and starts chirping about it. Like everybody's rallying around him. Like that's the that's the kind of thing I want to see from this uh, from this defense. It's just uh, get that swagger back, make people afraid to play against you. He had a off week against Baltimore, even though I, I wouldn't really necessarily blame the defense that much for that game. Like we talked about, but it was good to, good to see them kind of get a little, little or play with some juice this week. That was fun. Now we just need to get those, uh, we need to get those tips into some other DBs hands. That's the next, uh, yeah, that's, that's the, the next, next step. The next step is we got to, 
we got the we've got the strip from Spoon. Now I want to see those tips and overthrows going into DB's hands here because I think Diggs dropped Diggs dropped one or two that hit him like on on overthrows. And I think uh, Love wasn't quick enough to get to the one that Spoon tipped. And what did they say about tips and overthrows? Uh, you got to have those, Dan. Okay. Yeah, you got to have those. So yeah, that's the that's the next thing when I'll really know I'll really know that this uh, this Seahawks defense is there is when when you start getting those those tips and overthrows and those start popping and falling into guys' hands. That's when you that's when you know. All right, let's jump into our last and newest segment that I came up with today that I'm forcing Luke to do, but it's going to be spicy, sexy. Everyone's going to love it and make some money off of it as well, as long as you follow his advice. So it's going to be Puke's uh, lukewarm gambling tips of the week. Luke, what do you got for us? How can we win some money this week? Yeah, I didn't do a lot of research on here because if well, you just follow your heart, you if you if you followed the show, you would know that we don't do show prep. All right, we do show prep live. So uh, I have been on a little bit of a heater, and we didn't talk about this before, but I'll buy time and stall by talking about something else, which is uh, uh, the house went in on a parlay this last weekend that hit pretty big. Because uh, as we kind of talked about, we did some renovations at the house. We upgraded our washer and dryer. Got a $35 rebate for going to a more energy efficient uh, unit. And so we went the natural course so, of things with that money. Naturally, we took that 35 and we let it ride <laughs> on, a, on a house parlay where we where we chipped in. You know, threw the Huskies to win on the money line straight up. You got to support the dogs. So that was kind of our fourth leg. I took the Iowa under, so there's there's a teaser into into my picks is that uh, I have bet the Iowa under three straight weeks in a row, and I have won three straight weeks in a row on various bets involving that. So there's your stone cold lock of the century of the week. Bet the under on the Iowa game, but then we also took uh, USC to cover against Oregon and Miami to cover against Florida State. No one believed in me, and that. And that was a winner. So, you know, just a little recap, a little validation. But so, so first, you can trust this guy. So you can trust this guy. Um, like I said, I didn't do any show prep. So I'm looking through here right now. NFL games are really tough, honestly. Um, Jets bills at 40 and a half. I'm feeling an under there, basically, especially after the way the bills just played tonight. And you know, the jets aren't scoring any points. <laughs> yeah. So the jets aren't scoring 20. We so know this, that's, so. that's dog shit. You know, here's another one that this is a, this is a spicy one. I'm seeing Monday night football Eagles chiefs. That's going to be a fun game over under at 46. I like the under. Chiefs have one of the best defenses in the NFL, and it's getting kind of overlooked because people talk about Patty Mahomes. Their offense isn't actually that good this year. It's their defense. Their defense is like top five across the board. And I know this because I have them on my fantasy football team, and they've been really good. Eagles obviously have a good defense as well. 46, that's one of the – that might be the highest. I got 47.5 for the Cardinals and Texans, but one of the highest of the weekend over under and this has kind of been the the strategy lately is that uh, i heard this on the radios that this season is like the lowest average over under for nfl games like what vegas is setting it at since like 2009 something like that 
And despite that the number is lower than it's been in the last like 14 years, the under is hitting 62% of the time. 62% of the time. So if you if you bet the under on every single game this NFL season, you'd be making mad cash. Hmm. So that's kind of been my strategy. I just hit my under bet the other night. Thursday night under is always a good bet. Iowa under is always a good bet. And then find one other NFL under that you like. That's what I did this last weekend. Made a couple bucks. And on uh, on a side note, Luke is the most un-American better on the planet, betting all these unders. It's just not patriotic. It's uh, it's not what anyone wants to see. And so uh, so so you bring up you bring up a good point though. And I don't know if I want to open up another. Uh, large topic here but i do think it's something worth addressing is that you're making a joke there that i'm betting the unders and it's un-american is is football just not that good anymore because these teams can't score like i just said it's the lowest over under mark that vegas has set with like basically 15 years and they are failing to cover that number because teams just can't score there's a real college football is different i mean i'm betting on iowa that's they're God awful. Okay, that's just nepotism and hiring your son who doesn't know how to play football to be your OC. Okay, that's a, that's a Ferentz problem, not 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 a college football problem. The Huskies have no problem scoring points. They've hit the over almost every game. But NFL is like these teams can't score, and they've made every rule possible to try to help scoring, and they can't score. So what what's what's the issue? What? NFL has, I think NFL has a real problem on their hands. I think, I think part of it is that I heard Dan Patrick talking about this, that there were, there's been 60 different quarterbacks who have started a game in the NFL this year. Injuries are a part of it. So injuries are a big part of that. He've lost, um, Aaron Rodgers for season, Crick cousins for season. Um, seems like a common thread too, is also majority of NFL teams that have poor offensive lines that don't give their quarterbacks enough time to make a play or leads to your starting quarterback tearing an Achilles or an ACL or whatever else. Yeah. Or the flip side is just that edge rushers, because they get paid so much money, are are just so much better. Yeah. Like, you know, it's usually one follows the other is that these guys get better at being edge rushers. Now they're one of the premier paid positions. So guys want to play that position. I don't want to play middle linebacker. Michael Parsons, I don't want to play middle linebacker. I want to play edge. Yeah. Because that's where I get paid more. And then you get these crazy freak athletes that are playing edge that are just putting constant pressure on the quarterbacks. I'm curious, too, if there's something that we talked before about when they changed uh, rookie pay scale, that now it makes it way more affordable to draft a quarterback high because it's way cheaper than paying somebody. If you're seeing a little bit of that, that – you just have a lot more, it seems like you have a lot more teams that are always trying young guys, and then they fail, and then it's just next guy up. Yeah. We, we talked about Mac Jones is probably going to be the next one that it's like, all right, next guy up. We, we, tried, we tried with you with the 15th overall pick or whatever it was. You failed. Insert the next guy. Justin Fields tried with you. Next guy, which he's hurt right now, but, you know, and you see a lot more of that as opposed to kind of sticking it out with more of your Matt Hasselbeck types. You know, they're just kind of your journeyman, semi-accomplished type players, like kind of like Gino would end up 
kind of being fall more into that camp. Well, that's that's part of the problem too. Is a guy like Gino is also mediocre, and then the guy, and then like Love, who's been sitting behind Aaron Rodgers for years and learning the system, comes in and he's mediocre to to bad, you know. And so these guys who are getting developed too are not really doing that well. You also have like Purdy who has a decent record, I guess, this season, but like not really having the best year overall. Like McCaffrey's doing he had a, a great lot. start. Had a good start, but now he's kind of, you know, kind of been exposed, it seems like a little bit. The, it does seem like he bounced back this week though. Yeah, I, he I did have a watch the game. Yeah, they just... had a they had a good week. They dominated Jacksonville. Um I think that was a lot of defense driven <laughs> and some of that was good throws by him for sure. There was there was a couple, but like Debo took a three yard pass, forty yards to the house. Kittle took a twenty yard pass, sixty yards to the house. So like that was a pretty good throw though. Yeah, that no, was, that was a good. That throw. was one on one coverage yeah. down the sideline yeah. that he dropped it in the bucket. And yeah, then, yeah. That, yeah. I don't I don't want to Kittle discredit him for throwing it. It's a, still a twenty plus yard throw down the field. Like that was a good throw, but the overall, I think he's. I don't think he's. Uh, lighten the world on fire i guess like he's a system quarterback and it seems like that's what a lot of the guys are now like but it is a good example though of what luke was talking about because they had jimmy g and that's kind of like your journeyman yeah and dropped him off like left that to go to, to trey lance the shiny new toy decided well he got hurt but then later on decided to move on from both those guys to have Brock Purdy be the dude that was the last pick of the draft and it's like they've been a prime example of a team that has been finding success through the last few years but by just running through quarterbacks like not sticking to any kind of consistency there and all three different styles too yeah yeah but I think that Purdy's one if we want to bring it back to Gino we're kind of going off the betting topic here obviously but like that was my plan all along since I didn't have much prepared <laughs> yeah fair enough. I gave I gave you my formula for those who already forgot <laughs> yeah under on Thursday under, under on, on Iowa, Iowa every week and then one other under especially if it's a Sunday or Monday night game with a shitty team involved primetime games I feel like are almost always the under so there's your there's your formula there's the formula but I think uh, Purdy kind of falls into that same category as Gino is, and it, you just want him. It, he's at his best when he is just making the plays in front of him. Like as soon as he tries to tries to go play hero ball, and like he did a really good job at the start of his career of being like and I, like staying between the lanes and being like, here are, are your playmakers. What's that? No, is I'm talking. I'm talking about Purdy. Oh, I like, thought you meant Gino. I'm, I'm saying Purdy did a really good job at the start of his career here, uh, like as an NFL player, of staying in his in his lane. You know, it's yeah. like hit hit your checkdowns. Kyle Shanahan's like, here's you know, like here's your guys. Get it to your playmakers. That's it. And then it seems like the last like couple of weeks he's been trying to play a little more hero ball and like force some things. And then all of a sudden he's throwing four or five picks over that course, you know, those couple of games and they're losing games because Purdy's trying to do too much. Now this week you get back to hit your, you know, get the ball to your stars and, and good things happen. So 
lessons for Gino, I guess, <laughs> in the long run. Stay in your lane. Let let your playmakers be the playmakers. You don't need to be the playmaker. Yeah, let DK cook. Let that entire offense cook. Yeah. They have no holes, really, for playmakers. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think there's it's any. I don't think there's any issues with the with the uh, skill positions on this team. It's almost impressive that you're not <laughs> like getting the ball off to someone, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, is like that wasn't the that wasn't the prettiest game on paper, but like, kind of to your point, is that he had had eight turnovers in the last four games. Gino did. He had two touchdowns and no picks. That's like that's all you got to do. The 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 attempts and the amount of yards, I'm not really that worried about. If you weren't passing the ball, you probably would have handed the ball off, and somebody else would have got those yards. Yeah, just don't turn the ball over. Yeah, and don't take big sacks. Yeah, which honestly, that was the only to get one last little jab in on Gino <laughs> was right before <laughs> halftime in a game where you were struggling to score. There's 15 seconds left. You decide to go out there to run one more play before halftime instead of just kicking the field goal with 15 seconds left. And Gino decides that he's going to start bouncing around and then he ends up getting a sack or an intentional grounding. So it's a 10 second runoff and then you don't get to kick the field goal. It's like, that's where, again, that's just like, that's the Gino is like, Gino, you're supposed to be a veteran. Like you're supposed to be a seasoned guy. Yeah. You should hit the third seconds. step of your drop. If it's not there, throw it in. Throw the it stands. deep and out, out of bounds towards the yeah. guy running down the sideline. What? Let your kicker go out. Don't put your head down and start trying to bounce around and think that you're going to open something up. It's a three to nine game or whatever it was going in. It's like three points. You, you're going to double up your points for the half, or maybe it was. Maybe we had six. I can't remember. Yeah. You know, I was too hungover from the game before or from the day before, but. You know, it was a game of field goals at that point, and you just took three points potentially off the board. I mean, he can always miss the field goal, but you got to give the kicker a chance there, and you end up literally getting a 10-second runoff for an intentional grounding, take points off the board. Yeah. Bad. Yeah, bad. Just trying bad to play hero ball, trying yeah. to play hero ball when you don't need to. There's 15 yeah. seconds left. What are you going to do from that distance? Yeah, and you get the ball in the second half. So exactly. It's like you you can get your points and come out of there. Like all you were expected to do was get three points. You know, like that's the you got the ball with 40 yeah, seconds. Managed to, you managed to right Yeah, you made, managed to take points off the board. Yeah. Yeah. I got a I got a real question that uh sorry to take the 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 roll away from you tan, but I'm just looking at this schedule here. Seahawks are six and three, if I have that right. Yep. We're at the Rams this weekend. Then Thanksgiving home against San Francisco. Then we're on Thursday night again, a week later, at Dallas. And then we're at San Francisco and then home against Philly. That's five games. We're, We're six and three. Where do you actually think the Seahawks team, what is their record going to be with five more games on their schedule? Rams, Niners, Dallas, Niners, Philly. Like, I mean, I think you're lucky to get two wins out of that. I was going to say two and three. Yeah. No I mean, I would, I would think. I would you got to have the one against I would the Rams. Think you should, I would, yeah, exactly. But the Rams always give you trouble, though. Especially in L.A. Yeah. I would think that. It's not uh, going to be an easy game. Two and no. three is 
is uh, yeah is a you should probably be. I don't know if you're happy with that, but like you should be content probably with two and three out of that. I mean, it puts you at eight and five, you know, with. But at the same time, like as much as the Niners are troublesome, we also always play the Niners really well. So I could see a scenario where you take you basically you split the season with the Rams, you split the season with with the Niners. So there's two wins. And then you just got to go win one one more of those. I think if you come out of that stretch three and two, you should feel really good about it. Absolutely. Well, you know? three of them are on the road, so. Yeah, exactly. So if you come out of that three and two, and like just the way the NFC West goes, like I I don't see any reason why you shouldn't shouldn't split with the Rams and split with the Niners. Like you're, I think we're good enough to to take one game from the Niners in there. Now, Cowboys. I feel like the Cowboys are fraudulent. Uh, they they always have been. They always will be. So I'm I'm not. Uh, I think that's a, a winnable game. But what'll probably end up happening is we'll get dusted by the Cowboys, and then we'll play Philly at home, and somehow win that game, and and it'll be that'll be the we'll same. Go from race. skies falling to <laughs> yeah, Seahawks yeah, exactly. are back like, for the best. Yeah, team. exactly. You're like two and two in that in that stretch, and then you're like. Oh God! But the but now we're gonna face Philly and get dusted, and then we'll win that game. That just seems like classic, uh, classic Seahawk fashion. Honestly, that's exactly how I see it happening. I think the game you're supposed to win is the one you're gonna lose against the Rams. Yeah, you'll drop the Rams game, go over on the season, and then the, like the sky and then really beat the be Niners going. twice. <laughs> Somehow, yeah, you know, so, or like yeah. something crazy like I that. I can see in my mind's eye Devin Witherspoon eating a turkey leg. <laughs> On Thanksgiving, God, on that. on the uh, on the TV broadcast, I could already see it in my mind after a big win. Or Jamal Adams, he seems like a guy who would have no and problem. Gino. <laughs> yeah, I'm that's sure. that's a real problem. Though. I think I think DK would. Uh, I could see him eating a turkey leg too. That seems like uh, he's he's kind of a barbarian type man. Maybe Boy Mafe will get his day. Yeah, there you go. So I mean I think I think, I think I it's think, a crucial stretch here though yeah. you go zero and five during that I <laughs> yeah. mean it's about as tough as it gets for yeah yeah no the NFL did them dirty with that one that you're on the road then short week at home Thursday night then they have you on another you don't even get your ten day window for playing Thursday night you play the week later on Thursday I have never seen that you're gonna play back to back Thursdays your reward for playing a short week Thursday night is to play it seven days later and not get that extra couple days. Yeah. But then you'll get that extra couple days going into... Yeah, I guess you get it. Going into... Is it San Fran? Philly, right? No, San Fran. Yeah. It's San Fran, Dallas, San Fran, at San Francisco the second time, obviously. And then home against Philly. So you get a long break before before the away San Fran game. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's going to be a tough stretch. I think you have to go two and three. If you go three and two, you feel really good about it. I'd yeah. Say. And oh, yeah. I mean, if they're nine and five, and then you play Tennessee, Pittsburgh, and Arizona to end the year, which none of those are gimmies, but they're all teams. Again, you should probably go two for three. Out I mean, of Pittsburgh is the exact wins. same team. I feel like the Seahawks are right now. You're six and three, and it's just like. Well, who is this team? Yeah, they're only riding off their coaching. And, yeah, you and have a good defense. They have a decent defense and a great coach, 
and that's you have talent have. at the wide receiver position. You have talent at the running back position. But that's the weird thing. It's like that's not it because they do have a really talented offense. Yeah, it, you have all the weapons that you could ask for. Yeah, but you have, like, no, what quarter- is the but you have no quarterback, and like yeah, it's a quarterback. I don't know. But there's no more sugar cone. It Gino fucking sucks. He sucks. <laughs> he sucks. I had to put Drew Lock in <laughs> yeah. yesterday. Yeah, you see that Tennessee mud flap that fucking Drew Lock was rocking on the sidelines the other day. He's got he's got it buzzed down the side, and he's got the waterfall going. I did not see that. Yeah, he's no got way. he's got kind of a trailer park uh, mullet going right now. Oh my god, start him. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. That's, uh, I did not see that, and that just makes me want him to start even more. I'll so. bring up a picture once we're done recording. Yeah. That's Throw it on that, on the Insta or something, too, in uh, case anybody didn't show see right it. Now, then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on that note. On that note. <laughs> uh, anything to add, boys? I don't think, think so. we solved all the world's issues I'll, for this week. I'll say one last thing, because I don't think it's been said clearly enough. Say it. Is that, uh. I just think it's a really wild time to be a Husky fan. They're ten and zero. That's got to be the first time since ninety one. I'm guessing off the top of my head, since nineteen ninety one, the year I was born. Ten and zero. I thought I saw that maybe Bo Nix is the odds on favorite for Heisman right now, which is wild to me. But Michael Penix is number one or number two favorite to win Heisman right now. It's a crazy time to be a Husky fan. Yeah. We spend awesome. a lot of time kind of like breaking down how the game goes and not always taking a lot of time to just really kind of sit back. It was like, Huskies are 10-0. You have high, leading Heisman candidate. Who's got it better than we do? Nobody. Nobody. That was pretty cool. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for joining us on episode 20. Thank you for sticking it out with us this long, Clayton. And <laughs> Shane, I guess. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I, I had something else to add to all of this. Um, I don't know. I guess that's all I got. Go put up your Christmas tree. Put up your Christmas lights. Get yourself in the holiday spirit. <laughs> don't Love you, you fucking Nigel. dare. See ya. See ya. See ya.